Yeah, you were you were trucking along, and then all of a sudden we hear, "Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah." Um, <laughs> no, no. All right, how's it going, everyone? And welcome to the pilot episode of the Living Legends podcast. This is, like I said, our pilot episode, and we're gonna kind of. Let's go over the docket real quick here. So we're going to talk about who we have in this podcast. We're going to talk about what you should expect going forward in the podcast, as well as our pro tour experiences, maybe some thoughts and some community questions. And I use the word some for community questions a little loosely because we have a lot of questions. But before we get to that, let's introduce the people in the podcast. Me, my name is Kel, also known as Red Zone Rogue, and I am joined by both uh, Bill from the Spike Feeders and As, and I'll let them introduce themselves. I'm not sure what order, so let's go As first, because he's the first on the thing that I'm looking at. I'll so just say we could, we could do it. We, we could roll. We could roll for see who goes first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, high high roll odds. <laughs> well, yeah, we got dice there, Bill. Uh, I do. I mostly have coins. Aha! Here we go. I have a binary D6. Let's go. All right. Let's go. Roll it off. Can you hear that? Can you hear that? A little bit. I've got a one. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> I got a uh, so this is a thirty-two, but again, it's binary, so that is like four or something. Uh, so it's more than four. Yeah, Azalea um, player rolling a one, good start. Absolutely. <laughs> At least it wasn't KO, right? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I guess by uh, the grace of the RNG gods, I will go first. Uh, my name is Bill. I am from the Spike Feeders. Uh, I am one of the three hosts of the Living Legends podcast, uh, and. Uh, I am a big fan of Flesh and Blood. I think my specialty right now in terms of just like where a lot of my experience comes from is uh, growing local communities. Uh, and I say that specifically not because I want to like pump myself up or anything, but one of the questions that I, I noticed that I really did want to talk about was about growing local communities. And I feel like I've uh, helped to grow my local community here in Winnipeg um, pretty instrumentally, um, pretty substantially. So um i i like the game as like a, a social aspect um and also just from a very competitive aspect like the flow of the game is something that just absolutely intrigues me um and uh yeah i'm very excited to be able to chat with uh with the kind folks here on the show and share my thoughts with uh everybody in the community at large um and i think the living legends podcast as we'll be talking about in a bit will be your one-stop shop for absolutely everything that's going on on a week-to-week -week basis uh, in the world of Flesh yeah. and Blood. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and then I'll throw it over to Az. Uh, introduce yourself, my good sir. Cheers, yeah. So I'm Az from Go Again Gaming, um, and I'm from the United Kingdom, across the pond from these guys. And, yeah, I, I got into Flesh and Blood about a year or so ago, and I just fell in love, really, with like the character side of it, the identifying with certain heroes in the game and just all the lore that's already there and you know i love the casual aspect of it i liked commander i liked identifying with a certain character and i think that that really really comes across in this game and i'm an advocate for casual play commoner upf as you probably come to see on all of our channels um but yeah just absolutely love the game and can't wait to speak about all aspects of the game rather than just the competitive side of it just all aspects of the game you can come to expect on this podcast. So very, very happy to be here. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, for sure. And you guys both touched upon it. So what the Living Legends podcast is, is a weekly Flesh and Blood podcast where myself, 
Az, and Bill talk about all aspects of the flesh and blood trading card game. Everything from lore to strategy to news to products, just all aspects of flesh and blood. Um, I, I think we wanted this podcast to be for everyone, right? So if you are yeah. a brand new player, this podcast is for you. If you are a longtime player, this podcast is for you. If you're just here for the lore and the characters, well, this mm-hmm. podcast is for you as well. And I think that's cool. just kind of like the, the idea here. Um, I, I, was, I was thinking about the, the name Living Legends, and another uh, word for legends is like uh, stories, right? And so we want to tell like the living stories of the yeah. world of Wraith and uh, Flesh and Blood. Yeah, yeah like exactly. report on things as they're happening, as they're contemporary. Um, and just talk about it like as a whole. And something that I think is really cool is that we do have uh, as uh, as like as he mentioned, he likes the you know the casual aspect, the community aspect, the social aspect. Um, I'm sort of in the middle of the two, where I do really like the community aspect, but I also love just how the game functions as a competitive thing. And then we have yeah. Kel, who is literally <laughs> a commentator for tournaments. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I like to say that I, I touch upon all of them. I, I think of myself a little yeah. bit more on the casual side, even though I do, uh, you know, pro tour coverage and stuff. Well, we'll talk about that later in this in this yeah. episode. But I none like of to us, think of myself none of us are like, actually. None of us are actually like top eight contenders, at right, least not right, right now. Right. But uh, yeah. you know, I I've, think we're I think we're going to be at least touching on every single aspect of it. Yeah, I can yeah. I can maybe hold my own with uh, pro tour competitors. I'm not sure about top top eight competitors, but mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm all right. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of the gist of the podcast. Uh, we don't have all the nuts and bolts here. I, I'm not sure what day this is going to come out every single week. I'm going to shoot for Monday, but uh, that that's a non-promise tentative Monday. And you've probably also noticed already that at least currently this is a audio-only podcast. The YouTube version will have some images and whatever, but um, this is typically just an audio-only podcast. And I will have links in the description where you can um, find the podcast. Once again, not not 100% sure at the time of the recording, but I'll figure that all out (laughs) by the the time this goes live. Um, so, unless you have anything else to say, do you want to jump into our first topic of this pilot episode? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, so the, the first topic is just going to be the Pro Tour. It's the most recent big thing that happened, and it was probably one of the biggest, thing that's, biggest things that's happened to Flesh and Blood so far. Uh, definitely the, the biggest event, um, and it was uh, very, very exciting. And I'm, I'm actually really curious to hear... Uh, your guys' perspectives, because uh, mine was like very much entrenched in a very specific spot in the in the pro tour, right? I, I got out and about a little bit, but most of my time was spent like in the coverage booth. Um, but yeah, I'm very curious to hear uh, your guys' thoughts. Um, would y'all like me to start first, or would you want to just jump in, jumping in? Well, you were you were there, so you know you you give us yeah. the lowdown uh, first of all, and then we can we can just go off you. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the quick and dirty because I could probably talk for a quick long, <laughs> long time for this. Uh, I made a whole yeah, yeah. video, like a forty-minute video, kind of going over my experiences. But if, in case you haven't watched that, um, and even even if you did, let's let's just talk about it a little bit. So the pro tour was uh, fantastic. Honestly, in my opinion, just to sum it up, if you want the TLDR, um, I don't think it could have gone better in a lot of respects. Um, Day one or day zero, I guess if you want to call it, we had a player's banquet where uh, all the Pro Tour competitors were invited to it, you know, free food, um, just got to kind of like mingle, chat with folks. Uh, the banquet did open up to the general 
public um, a couple hours into it. And there was a uh, Q&A with James White that uh, Matt DeMarco, also known as Flake, did. I think it was fantastic. James talked about a lot of different things. Uh, everything yeah. from the secret fourth uh, hero in Uprising. Spoilers, there's not really going to be a secret fourth hero. <laughs> to some spicy details of how the draft might work. Uh, James is like, you know, the draft is going to work well, even though we do have two Draconic and one Ice hero. He mentioned something like that there's going to be an... Um, a card similar to Cracked Bobble, but you can attack with it. So oh. take that for what you will. I have a feeling that we'll see the Cracked Bobble become opened, like uncracked. We'll, we'll have an uncracked Bobble, and it, what's inside will allow us to attack. That's that's my, like, tinfoil hat, but um, I think it's to smooth out the draft uh, because of the way that the, the talents are balanced. So that's hmm. super interesting. Um, then we also had just the actual Pro Tour. Day one, there was a lot of people. Um, day two, it was even more insane because we had the calling. Uh, I have a short little story where, like, I had to go to the restroom, right? And so I ran to the back bathroom, and there's like, a line to the door. And I'm like, all right. So I ran to the front bathroom. There's a line to the door. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to back to my hotel. And I just ran back to my hotel to, to <laughs> use the restroom because it was, like, so packed. Um, which is very good for the optics of the game. Uh, we can maybe talk about this a little bit later, but uh, it was so packed that it sold out, like the calling sold out. There was, l- yeah. there was literally not enough seats. Like, they had a number of seats, and they sold that many, like, tickets to it. They, they ba- basically just maxed, maxed out. Um, so I was talking to one of the Chris's from LSS. There's a lot of Chris's that work at LSS. And uh, we are talking about how it's, it's a good and bad thing. Uh, they, they think it's more a good thing, and I, I think I'd agree. You know, it's, it's bad that the people who didn't have the foresight to sign up ahead of time, they, they didn't get a play. Um, yeah. But it's also a good thing in that so many people wanted to play Flesh and Blood that they weren't, like, there just wasn't enough space. Like, the game is growing so much that the, the venue was just not big enough for the demand which is just mm-hmm. really good optics for the game. Well, like when you talk about that, you'd be like, your event sold out. Like, the calling sold out. Um, so there's yeah. there's that. And uh, artists were there. Federico Muzzetti and Steve Argyle, both fantastic guys. Uh, I got a chat with them both at decent length. Um, and I very much enjoyed uh, meeting them, getting signatures, having them ruin my cold foil cards by signing all over them. Uh, absolutely loved it. <laughs> uh, very happy to Very happy to do that. Um, got Steve to sign over my $800 cold foil viscerae, and I could not be happier. And um, what else? I also got to see Federico outside of the event because he was in the same uh, hotel as me, which was kind of cool. Just being like, hey, man, and he just kind of came over, we chatted a little bit. And then Flake started talking Italian out of nowhere, and I'm like, what? You, you speak Italian? And I'm like... Is there anything he can't oh, do? How many languages do you speak, man? <laughs> um, he also speaks, like, fluent French. Uh, and he speaks like wow. Polish. And he speaks like a bunch of languages. I was, I was, I was very impressed. Uh, he just what started a, speaking. What a talented, talented man! Can can this just be? Can we just uh, transition this from Flesh and Blood to just be a podcast about Flake? <laughs> like, <laughs> Flake, so, yeah. Flake's a great guy. Uh, really looking the forward Flake to Flake out part podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe an idea for a, fu- a future guest. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was just a, it was just a great time. Like overall, it was just a, a celebration of Flesh and Blood. Lots of high-level play, obviously. We had the Pro Tour. It was basically, I was telling folks, this is kind of like what we'll see at Worlds, right? Everyone here at the Pro Tour, for the most part, with, with some notable exceptions, 
Um, these are the people who are going to be competing at Worlds, and so this is just like the the peak of the you know flesh and blood competition. And it was awesome to to watch the matches. There's some amazing feature matches, and like oh, yeah. watching uh, Yuki Lee Bender play out. I think she's one of the best players in the world. Definitely one of the best Ranger mm. players in the world. Uh, watching the Kanos just kind of pop off, uh, like Alexander yeah. Vor and Sasha Markovic. Um, yeah, it was just a a fantastic time. It was incredibly tiring and exhausting, but I loved it. Loved every moment of it. So that's kind of my yeah. sort of quick, sort of quick uh, rundown of of the Pro Tour. Um, there's a couple small things like I didn't really get a chance to talk to James. I, I talked a lot to the other LSS guys, but James White was like so slammed the whole weekend. I got to see him like three times for a total of like 40 seconds. And uh, there was a couple times where, like, I had a chance and, you know, I'd go out and there'd, there'd be a line, a huge line for people just, you know, wanting to talk with James. And someone said, like, I should just, you know, since I'm working the event, I should just kind of, like, cut. And I'm like, I'm, there's no way I'm going to cut the line and just be like, you know, look, look down the line. Sorry, guys. Sorry, bro. Um, like, Sorry, it's me, Kel, from Red Zone Rogue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there's no way I'm doing that for, for, for multiple reasons. But, like, me meeting James isn't any more important than anyone else meeting James. That's, that's why everyone's here. And so, like, there's no way I would deprive someone else the opportunity. So it's just like, eh, it just didn't work out that I didn't really get to talk to him much. But, uh, you know, for a future event, that's something I'll, I'll be looking forward to for sure. Uh, that's probably my biggest regret. I, I got all the other LSS members to sign a playmat and it doesn't have James. So it's like this <laughs> in, incomplete playmat. But, uh, but, yeah, I'm actually curious to hear... Um, what you guys thought about the the pro tour and your you know experiences with it and all that kind of stuff. If uh, let me pick, uh, Bill. <laughs> I um, I didn't get a chance to actually watch a lot of the um, the coverage of it, unfortunately. Um, just life got in the way, but uh, I was very impressed to see that uh, our Discord, our uh, flesh and blood section of our Discord was absolutely popping off um, because oh, yeah. we have uh, so many people that are, you know, really engaged in the the high level play of flesh and blood. We have uh, a couple of local players that absolutely adore Kano and oh, wizard yeah. in general. <laughs> and uh, it's the only thing they play in blitz and they've tried it in CC and they're like, well, like it's, like the the ceiling is way higher because you have three of each card, but it's just not as consistent and blah blah blah. So the fact that there were two Kanos oh, that made yeah. their way into the top eight, they were just like you couldn't stop them. <laughs> like they were yeah. so pumped about Do it. Do you know how many uh, Kanos were on the tournament total? Uh, seven. Yeah. So yeah, the yeah. the turnover was was crazy high. Insane. Insane. Like yeah. two out of seven total is that's, ridiculous that's what you call breaking the format when yeah. seven people roll in with a deck and it has a two out of seven turnover to the top eight that's insane yeah. well it was like um which one was it the calling las vegas where uh tyler horsepool ended yeah. up winning against um i forget the, the chain the guy's name unfortunately oh uh, yeah, it was the it person was the chain. Is, um oh, yeah. i don't remember either yeah, but um, that that was a, a phenomenal game, and I'm very uh, disappointed that I can't remember the the second place because he was also playing his heart out. It was crazy, but um, I remember in the top eight there was a a dash, and I think it was one of like two. There was like a fifty percent conversion to top eight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think that was um, Alberto. Was Al Alberto the guy uh, uh, who got? 
I don't Alberto don't Miracle? Me. Is his last name Miracle? It might be. If it is Alberto, it he is. was local here. Great, great person. Yeah. Um, but like that was cool. That 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 sort of thing when you see the dark horses end up in the top eight is just you can't help but feel hyped about that. Yeah, like it, uh, especially against the sea of Starvos. Like um, as much as I don't have like actual negative feelings about the deck because it is just a deck. Whatever. Like it's is it a little bit overtuned? Sure, but the way that I I look at it outside of things like the Pro Tour and at the top level of play. Um, the thing that I like about Flesh and Blood is that even if you're not playing at that super high level of play, you can kind of have a shot with almost anything, and that's how I prefer to play it, where it's like, you know, I play decks that I think are strong and fun to play at the same time. I could play a deck that's objectively super strong, but then it, like, starts to feel bad, like, I don't know, um, especially the, uh, the first ever, um, PTQ ah. that, um, Sorry, what was that? I, just to dot our T's and cross our I's, I uh, found the people. It was uh, Sebastiano oh, yes. was playing. Oh, okay. Um, and then it was uh, Alberto Miracle on Dash. So Sebastiano was playing Chain, Alberto, Dash. Just to, just to, just to make sure. Just to make sure. No, that's perfect. That's uh, I'm really, really happy to uh, be able to give them the credit where it's due because they did, again, all of them in the top eight there played absolutely phenomenally. And I was... I was I was with Alberto that whole time in my heart. <laughs> I wanted him to take it. But um yeah, the uh the first ever big event that I uh I judged was the first big event where Starvo was a legal hero and the amount of feel bads that I saw from people on both sides of the table when their opponent was at like four life or something and they're like, "Oh, um beginning a turn reveal to Starvo." And both of them are just like, "Yeah, I win." Like mm. Yeah. I, like you can only do that so many times before like I would feel bad enough to not play the deck anymore just because of that. Like I'm not saying that anybody who plays the deck should feel bad. Like that's absolutely not what I'm trying to say. But um, you know, when you get to play these other decks, like obviously uh, Pablo was all in on chain here, knowing oh, yeah. that Starvo was going to be the, the main deck to beat. He was all in on it and he, he did it. Like he took it home and oh, that's yeah. phenomenal. Pablo's story is like, super it's awesome like he went zero two day one like he lost yeah. his first two matches and then he came back to win the whole thing that is such a tale of like perseverance and like not tilting like so many people would have just tilted from that right so zero two at the pro tour immediately tilt being like oh, i can't win can't can't get in not he like he went for it and he he ended up winning the whole thing so yeah, amazing. Yeah, he started started O two and then finished eleven three. Like that is <laughs> <Yeah>. just like <laughs> that's a bloodbath. <laughs> oh yeah, like, yeah, good. Like fantastic job on his part. And uh, yeah, as as my uh, like unfortunately the the Kanos didn't make it as far as they uh, at least my locals would have loved them to. The fact that they hit top eight at all is still like it's a testament to you know if you really really like a deck and you know it in and out you can play it at a super high level thing even if it's yeah. not technically like the best deck like or the you know the mathematically optimal deck also right yeah um you know again which, I, I'm, yeah. my, my sort of point of view on this is obviously i'm not i'm not a professional player at all but the, the the minds out there that can sort of decipher what is going on with the meta game obviously saw obviously saw a chink in the armor here to play kano because mm. it was on the on the pie chart it says 1.9% of decks were Kano decks, 37% were Bravo decks. 
yeah. Starvo decks. So they, so they must have seen something where I think it was the lack of arcane barrier was one of the main points that they 100%. just thought, yeah, I can, I can prey upon this. And even if I get dominated Oakenolded, I'm going to discard my cards. That's that's fine. My turn ends on my turn, but your turn is my turn anyway. So I can cast my spells on your turn anyway, whether I've discarded my cards or not. So I think, yeah, I think um, the fact that, you know, people that, you know, were playing Kano figured that out, I think is a, is a testament to how the how strong this game is and how you can sort of meta against it, similar to how the prison player did against chain even though i wasn't watching mm. at that at that time so yeah I, I that's what i really really loved about it seeing that happen yeah 100 percent. i was talking to uh i think it was brian gottlieb and we were saying like we don't think and i agree uh, we don't we don't think kano is the best deck in flesh and blood but we think it was the mm. best deck for that tournament just yeah. because they they absolutely got the like the the medical and it was uh i mean even though they didn't get there in the end i still think it was like a fantastic medical like the conversion rate was nuts like we talked about exactly. yeah yeah like it, the it, it's just, it's just crazy it, it really does go to show you that um and this is i think something that we also want to uh, touch on i think all three of us sort of share the same thing and one of the questions from twitter was uh was on this topic but you don't necessarily have to play the most expensive deck like i'm not going to be commenting on the lists themselves because obviously at a pro tour level you are going to be playing the most expensive thing but you could yeah. pair this down to a little bit more of a um like a smaller viewpoint and say you know just because you don't play the starvo deck because you don't have the expensive legendaries for it if you know the deck and you know the matchup and you prepare accordingly you can meta your way into wins that you shouldn't have had otherwise just because you understand the matchup or the game that much more than your opponent does. Yeah. Um, yeah like preparation and like just overall game knowledge is so invaluable in flesh and blood. And again, like we're, we're going to be saying this a lot, but there's so much depth to flesh and blood in general that like, it doesn't begin and end with how much you're willing to spend on the game. Um, oh yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> just phenomenal. Yeah. I, I agree. And I think, I think you're right. There are some questions on Twitter that talk about that. If uh, if you guys are done talking about the Pro Tour, we can jump into those questions because there's a lot of them. Yeah. Let's go. All right, cool. So I'm just going to kind of read these from the bottom. and um, There's a good number, a good, good dozen or so here. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to read through them all. So <laughs> let's do this. The first no one, particular order. <laughs> yeah, the, the first one uh, just says, I would, I would ask how both you, I, I guess me, and as get your hair to look so great, but there's also right. there's also a more important part to this question too. But let, let's answer that one first. As your hair routine. Um. So, so sometimes to get the volume uh, of the, of the hair, I don't I don't wash it every day. I use Batiste sort of dry shampoo to give it that extra zhuzh. Um, <laughs> All right. Um, but, I respect um, the zhuzh. I respect the zhuzh. <laughs> the Batiste zhuzh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I honestly, I struggle with mine more as I get older and my hair starts to thin. It used to be much thicker, um, yeah. but uh, I don't know. I just this is gonna sound really bad, but um, my partner is like a manager at like a local Whole Foods type place, and I just ask her, I'm like, hey, can you just buy me whatever, whatever shampoo? And so nice. she'll pick up. 
pick up shampoo. Or, or if, if I'm there, I'm like, I don't know what to get, which is a good one. And she'll just point to one. And I'm like, okay, I'll buy that one. There's like, I don't know, like sea, sea salt and stuff in it. I don't know, man. Like, I just use yeah. what I just use what she tells me to. Just, just get a bit of table salt in the hair. Just gives it a bit of extra volume. Yeah, yeah. Get that oh, pink, yeah. the pink Himalayan salt. Just kind of slowly grind yeah. it. <laughs> also, uh, side effect of that kills leeches if you have that issue at all. Um, yeah, that's just something leeches. that I know from being a Boy Scout when I was younger. Oh, good point. <laughs> also, that... I wasn't included in the question, so I just had to insert myself. That must <laughs> yeah, be that's... why I've never gotten leeches. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mollusks, mollusks in general just die to salt, don't they? So I think you're okay there. Okay. <laughs> all right. So the anyway. second... yeah. Uh, second part. Second part of the question. Uh, slightly more, uh, slightly more serious. Uh, they'd like to ask how we think LSS could further improve the Ranger class. It's one of their favorites, uh, but I still feel like it could be expanded upon in a very fun and unique way. And this is by um, Sin Briar Enthusiast at Sin on Stream. I forgot to name it, name it at the start, but I will continue. I will uh, shout out the question questionnaires. Sure. Yeah, I know you've got probably got a lot of thoughts on this, Kale, because. Um... I remember speaking to you about it before. Yeah, it's it's a tricky, <laughs> it's a tricky one. Um, I'm I'm actually of mind right now is like they could print absolutely disgusting busted things, and I don't think it would make Ranger like overpowered at all. Like, yeah. Lexi's pretty good, and actually I think Lexi is in a good spot for the non-Starvo meta. I think Lexi's going to be quite good going into this. Um, I, I say non-Starvo meta because uh, Starvo hit Living Legend at the Pro Tour. We didn't really talk about this, but uh, Starvo actually won the calling. So after this uh, ProQuest season, uh, Starva will hit Living Legend and no longer be available for classic constructed play. Now, at the same time, we have a new set coming out, Uprising, so it's going to be really, really hard to see how the meta shakes out. But regardless of Uprising, if you don't count those heroes, um, Lexi's in a good spot. Um, I mean, Ranger always has like a, it's called the Ranger tax, right? Uh, you just have to pay the mm -hmm. extra Ranger tax be by virtue of using a bow. And it not only limits like you resource-wise, but it also limits you in terms of the number of attacks you can play, the number of arrows you can play. Uh, Voltaire is like the most popular one because it lets you use it twice and also, you know, lets you go a little bit wide, giving those arrows go again. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest detriments to the class. It's also like one of the coolest flavor things for the class, you know, being able to load your bow and fire it off, it, it's, it's really fun. But it's also one of the things that, that really holds it back, in my opinion. And I know a lot of folks would like, uh, you know, a more stable weapon, like an offhand dagger, a chest piece quiver, just some something that they can use at a whim if they whiff. Because we've seen this on stream. We've seen this on stream at, like, the highest level in nationals, the U.S. nationals in Orlando. Um, I think I think is Isaac from the Attack mm -hmm. Action podcast did, he had a commanding lead and I, I was doing coverage and I'm like, he, he has such a commanding lead. The only way he doesn't win is if he whiffs entirely on the three of a kind. And then he whiffed on the three of a kind and had to just I... pass the turn. That th that game, that turn specifically, is etched into my soul as a core memory. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. It, it hurt me so bad. As somebody who, like, I was watching that game like it, my life depended on it. I was so pumped to see Lexi, specifically Ice Lexi, at this top level. And in that game, you're, at, you're absolutely right. He had a commanding lead. I was, like, I think what I, how I described it was, 
Like his his foot was on Briar's throat the entire game. Yeah. Like consistently had frostbites, consistently taxed cards out of their hand. Like it was it was almost embarrassing. Everybody that was in our Discord chat was like, there's no way Lexi doesn't win this. And then yeah, cast three of a kind, passes the turn. Oh, it's so and that was it. Like that <laughs> that I, one I, misstep. I distinctly remember saying it on stream, on coverage. I was like, I was like, well, I'm not saying the game is over, but and then he just whiffs and it crushed my soul. Yeah. yeah. And like the absolute worst part of that is there's nothing that he could have done as a player. Yeah. Differently to to like make sure that that worked properly, because if I remember correctly, he fired it off with no arrows in hand and then drew no arrows. Yep. <laughs> so it's yep. like there's no like there's no agency there. There's no decision making that he could have done where it's like, oh, well, if I had done this instead of this, like, no, it's just straight up the deck decided it didn't want to win. So you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Should have just drawn arrows. Um, but what do you guys think about uh, improving the ranger class? I know you. I know you both have uh, thoughts about this. I think Az is probably chomping at the bit. Do I think it. he he came prepared with uh, with a with a Loaded, lot of uh, thoughts. Up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'll I defer mean, to I'm, you first. Yeah, I mean, I'll uh, I'll plug I'll plug a video I did for um, five design ideas for ranger um, and Azalea in general um, because. I think um, there's loads of things that, that that could be done, but I think as you say, Cal, like if 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 three of a kind said draw three cards, go again, Ranger would still be in the same place. It yeah. doesn't matter whether they have mm-hmm. to play cards from Arsenal or not. I think it would st- they would still be in the same place. I think it's that inherent downside of having to play cards from from your Arsenal, and only if you control a bow. I think that's one of the main mm-hmm. things that holds them back. Um, but um, yeah, I, th- I think I think for thematic purposes, I think Ranger should be more like like how Batman is. You know, he's not going in. He's not. He's not. If you think of a Ranger, they're they're firing arrows to you know to hit the opponent. They don't want to miss. Um, and I think they should have more sort of more sort of traps, more sort of baiting mm. and goading mm-hmm. the opponent, and having having the, every time the opponent attacks a ranger, they have to make a decision as to why they should what what they what they can run into by attacking that ranger. Because if you imagine Reinar running towards the ranger who's actually re- waiting to shoot them in the face, it doesn't make any sense. Why mm-hmm. you know from a thematic thematic perspective, but yeah, um, yeah, I think there's loads of things that could be done, but. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't know. I don't know what specifically I, really. I I like that a lot. Just uh, again, like the the thing that drew me to Azalea right off the hop, which Kel can attest to. Like the first thing that I ever did in Flesh and Blood was put together Kel's Azalea deck. Oh yeah, uh, and then I messaged him on Twitter about it, and I was like, "Hi, I'm new to Flesh and Blood. Can we be <laughs> friends?" <laughs> and uh, just the the thematic aspect of you you have this class in this game that doesn't specifically have like this um you know you you have the the whole idea of you're knocking an arrow and whatever like the game wasn't created with that in mind but with the the framework that they already had in place they were able to use that to convey that thought of Hmm. i'm going to take an arrow out of my thing put it into my arsenal and ready it and then fire it off yeah. And the, what the second that clicked, I was like, "This game is phenomenal. <laughs> this game yeah. is so cool." I, uh, I I do think after having played with it for so long, um, the the thematic aspect is definitely overridden by the fact that it's not 
consistent enough in that yeah. if you do have, you know, you're out of ways to reload your arsenal and you're just left with arrows in your hand and they don't do anything else, then it just kind of feels bad. Uh, I think it's, it's like my idea behind it is a little bit more of a nuclear option, but maybe there's some way that they can rework the arrow mechanics slightly where it's like you're playing it out of an arsenal, but maybe rangers get a specific arsenal that's only for arrows, like only for face-up arrows or something. Um, yeah, I was New Horizon touches on it, doesn't it? New yeah. Horizon touches on the, yeah. the extra arsenal zones. Specific, yeah. You know, that it's, could work that into a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, like, what I said before about, like, the ranger tax. And, like, so, like, if you're a regular class, right, a good breakpoint is zero for four, right? That's a pretty good, like, aggro breakpoint. For Ranger, there's mm-hmm. literally almost never a zero for four because you always have to pay for the bow, right? Unless you're playing Redliner, which a lot of people don't play. It's always like mm-hmm. at least one for four. Because um, even your zeros, you know, you still have that cost of, you know, loading it with your bow. Unless you're able to, you know, set up ahead of time. In which case, that's a whole other issue that other classes don't have to deal with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, fundamentally, Rangers just have like this, this, this tax on them. Are you are either of you familiar with the um, the story about Rangers and Arcane Rising? Like uh, it was it you was a have you've definitely told me. <laughs> yeah, it was a thing kind of early on, and I, I'm not sure where this came from and how true it is. I think it came from an early interview with James, but don't quote me on this. If if any listeners um, have any concrete information on this, please uh, like comment and or just let us know. Message us. Um, but the idea is that initially Ranger was like overpowered and they had to tune it back. Like uh, in, in their initial testing, it was like too strong um, and they, they had to like nerf it a little bit. And also, I heard that there was a different class and I know this one is true. There was a different class in Arcane Rising, um, but it fit better somewhere else. And so they stuck Ranger there. So those are the, those are the two little bits of Ranger trivia that I know. And that's, I, I always think about that when I think about, like, how Ranger is now. I'm like, oh, I wonder, if, like, how strong it was going to, could have been. And maybe, maybe the, the, the hate effects, because Ranger kind of leans into, like, these on-hit hate effects. Maybe they were just too good with how they originally were. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, that's, that's the thing that I think is, that really draws me to Azalea. That want, that part of me that really wants Azalea to be, uh, like a hero that you can show up to an event with and not feel like you're at a disadvantage yeah. from square one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you have you have knock the death whistle, which Good. is an insane tutor effect yeah. when it it interacts with your hero so positively. It's basically ready an arrow and give it dominate. Yeah. Like just crazy. And then you also have uh, Red in the Ledger, which is basically just time walk if it hits. Like, yeah. it's yeah. it stops your opponent from doing anything for a full turn, essentially. Like, there's there's very few ways to get around it. Um, but in a class where you have those two things, like, the, arguably the strongest tutor in the game, and such a strong on-hit effect, and draw three cards... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this class is still not good. <laughs> like I, I really want her to be good so that we can you can showcase just how strong those are. But I think Kel is on the right path where, you know, even if you don't have your arrows up, maybe you can set up some sort of a trap. And instead of the traps that we got in like crew and uh, but the other ones in arc, I'm pretty sure they were in arc and rising. I think we've only gotten three traps, and they were all three in, in crucible. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um. But they they sort of 
misstepped on the design space for them, I think. I think you um, could say that. <laughs> yeah, I think you could say because, that. Because... Yeah, especially at the and, time where you only had one arsenal zone as well. Yeah, and and that sort of ties in with another issue that I have with Ranger as a class. Every other class has the ability to use their arsenal for like, oh, I'll put this thing in here and I'll sit on it for a couple turns until it's relevant or I'll put right. like a defense reaction yep. in here or whatever. Rangers just can't do that because you need your arsenal free to be able to attack. So it's like if you arsenaled a uh, like a sink below or something and then your opponent just like took a turn off from attacking you, you're now just stuck. Like you can't do anything until they attack you yeah. again. Um, which I think is like it is part of the ranger tax, but I think once you take into account all of the parts of the game that are being taxed by being a ranger, I think it amounts to just a little bit too much. <laughs> I yeah. think they could probably serve to be knocked into a lower bracket. <laughs> I I agree. I think most people would agree <laughs> agree to. Mm -hmm. Um especially for Azalea. Le Lexi Lexi's up there. She she's kind of climbing up there, but uh yeah. Poor, poor Azalea. Even though she has like some of the best specializations in the game, like you said, still, uh, still not getting there. Um, any more Ranger thoughts you know, before we move to the next one? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just throw in a card that I designed on this video that I made. So it's called Arrowhead Stab. This is something I would, I would love to see. Um, so choose an arrow card in your graveyard. Deal one damage to the opponent unless they pay X, where X is the cost of the arrow card chosen. If they take damage this way, trigger the on-hit effect of the arrow chosen. Okay. So, yeah, yeah it, obviously, if you're block, obviously with Riv Ranger, you have to block with your arrows sometimes as well, which is never a good thing. Yeah. So, yeah. If, you so if you chuck that arrow in the graveyard, you then use your, your arrowhead stab to bring it out of the graveyard and stab someone in the face with it. They can then choose to pay a certain amount unless they want to have the on-hit effect chosen. So if you imagine taking that Red and the Ledger out of the arsenal and stabbing them with it, when they're attacking you, this is a defense reaction, by the way, it just gives them more decisions oh. that they have to make when they when they attack a ranger. Uh, and I think these sort of things, the sort of baiting hmm. and goading theme, could be, um, could be worth exploring. You know, if that was like a zero-cost, four-defense defense reaction... Uh... And maybe the X value is like X plus one, so that you can still do yeah. it with a zero cost and, and still force yeah. them to to pay. I think that would be sweet. Yeah, yeah. I I like that a lot too because like in general you don't see rangers run that many defense reactions because they can't really defend anyway. But that one plays in nicely with like as you said like recycling oh. your arrows and getting yeah. a defense reaction stuck in your arsenal is like literally the worst thing with Azalea. Yeah, it's a it's a death sentence. Yeah, with with. I mean, if you're running uh, New Horizon, you can kind of get around it, like with Lexi, by turning it face up with her hero ability and then getting the extra arsenal spot. Mm -hmm. But even then, you're just telegraphing your <laughs> defense reaction just just sitting there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, before we obviously before we move on, because obviously this, we spent a lot of time on this. I think yeah. yeah, I think in general, I think Rangers should be laying trunks to attack, and you know they have to make extra decisions when they do so, and if they if they don't make the right one, they get punished for it, and you know, when you are attacking, you should be aiming to hit them and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I'm sure we'll get some good stuff. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I think uh, there are a lot of ways that we could make Ranger just even slightly better. Just tune it like here and there. Don't want it to be overpowered. Well, just I mean, want it to be like on the same footing. We we have now a confirmation of a product release schedule that's going to be a big set and a supplemental set, which is now, uh, James is now calling them expansion sets. So we're going to be alternating big set uh, expansion sets now. So a lot more op like opportunities for Ranger to get stuff. So you know, fingers yeah. crossed. In due time, hopefully, 
will get stuff. And, and Flesh and Blood is designed in such a way where they could just print something specifically for Azalea that's like, you know, another like busted card for Azalea that, you know, might put her over the top. You know, maybe maybe we'll see mm-hmm. like specialization equipment or something like that, you know, in the future where mm-hmm. only Azalea can use it or something like that to bump up these heroes that, um, mm-hmm. you know, don't have any <laughs> don't have any high level wins. Stuff like yeah, that. And yeah. without it bleeding over to other people like with um, like with. Rosetta Thorn and and Chain. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. I, and, I think that that's a really good design space for them to explore. Yeah. I, I really. Yeah. Like they could. Yeah. They could chuck it in like stuff like classic battles, couldn't they? Like you know, yeah. hero specific mm-hmm. equipment that come with part of their story or whatever reason. Yeah. One hundred percent. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Sweet. So the next question it comes from the Armed Pit, which I think they do. Uh, they talk about uh, Ultimate Pit Fight stuff, which is awesome. Um, this question is, what's your ideal entry-level product? I'm going to toss this one to Az this time. Ideal entry-level product. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think think the the fact that they're borrowing ideas already, obviously, we literally just said this, actually. It's just funny that it's come up. But the Classic Mm -hmm. Battles uh, product that's coming out soon, I think is uh, a, a good product for people that, you know, might see it on the on the sort of local game store shelf, and there's two decks that you can just get out with. You know, if you're out in a out in a city or a town with your mate, and you think, oh, flesh and blood, what's that? We'll pick that up because it's got oh, it's got a beautiful warrior lady on there and a massive brute. Oh, I, I can identify with the brute. I'm the brute. Oh, I'm the lady. Okay, then <laughs> you get it off and you start playing. I think that's a good. I think that's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, the fact the fact that it's got sort of unique cards in it as well would also make it. A bit of a, a a purchase for people that are also um, entrenched in the game already. They want to pick up the unique stuff. So I think it's killing two birds with one stone with products like that. But I think it is. I think it's a perfect product to have on the shelves. You know, cause it's, it's sort of sort of like a board game where you can just get it for two people, family, friends, kitchen table, um, but also an entry point into the game uh, as well. If you do want to be, if you do want to have a look at it more competitively, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, yeah, so but it's going to be interesting to see, like the, uh, like you know, what they do with the PVE stuff and where that, where that will, where that will sort of lie. Yeah, well. I'm very curious to for the PVE stuff in, in you know, in particular, uh, if they include pre-built decks or if it's just the PVE shell that you bring your own decks yeah. to, because I've seen mm-hmm. it done both ways uh, with other card games, specifically like the World of Warcraft trading card game has done both. Where they have raid decks, where you build, you bring your own deck to fight against the raid deck, but also mm-hmm. there's the Ice Crown Citadel raid deck that has three pre-constructed decks that you play with, and then then the enemy like PVE deck that you you play against as well. So, I'm curious to see how they uh, how they uh, you know market that product. Personally, yeah. I uh, I like what they're doing right now. Um, I think they can do a little bit more, but I, I do like what they're doing. I love the free Ira decks. Um, yep. would like to see more stores get those. So, like, any store that co- carries Flesh and Blood always has, like, a, a nice backlog of Ira decks. And so if anyone ever, you know, comes up, you can just be like, here you go, free deck. Um, no questions asked. I think that is, is you know, a good way to just getting people into the game. I love the, the Blitz decks. I would love to see more more Blitz decks. Um, you know, every single set. It looks like, like we talked about, we're going to have every other set be a big set. So it looks like we'll see these less frequently, maybe only once or twice a year. 
And so hopefully these classic battles decks supplement that uh, time in between. Because if, you know, if you're on a year where there's only one set of Blitz decks coming out, right, you'd need some other entry-level product to kind of fill the, fill the void. Um, and yeah, then... That's a good point, actually, because um, our friend Joey from Decks and Drafts obviously made the learn-to-play kits, didn't yeah. he? Um, so, mm-hmm. so maybe that they should... I don't know, obviously I'm not LSS, but maybe they should look at just sort of a more sort of broader uh, entry entry-level load of decks like like he's made um to get more people into it potentially i don't know how that would work but because because at the moment it looks like they've just left it to the community to sort of do that sort of stuff with the entry level stuff yeah i i think that their intent is and this is uh, something that i got after talking with james is the ira blitz decks are literally they want that to be your first entry point or i guess they're not blitz decks they're just the ira welcome decks because yeah. they're free. Like, that's that's what the, mm-hmm. they want the entry point to be. And then the next step is the Blitz decks, the $12 Blitz decks. Um, mm-hmm. So you can kind of get a better feel of, you know, core mechanics and that kind of stuff. And then they want the gap between that and then, like, building your own, like, fully-fledged deck. Uh, that's going to be the Classic Battles product. Um, that That's, like, the okay. next step. I, I would like yeah. to see another step maybe a little bit beyond the Classic Battles. Now, I'm saying this not knowing the contents of the classic battles decks. Like, I don't know how competitive these decks are, but I would yeah. love to see, kind of like how Az said, a little bit more of an evergreen kind of thing. And you can maybe tie this in with like future history pack releases. So maybe you have like history pack two decks. And those are going to be like, like a reprint deck, but they have like cards from a bunch of different sets and they're like semi competitive. Kind of like how mm-hmm. Magic the Gathering has the event decks, I think is what they're called for Magic, where they're like. Oh, yeah. They're like semi-competitive decks, like not quite the way, maybe 50% of the way there, but like it's a good place for someone who wants to play competitively where they can just buy the deck and then just fill it out with, you know, whatever else they need, a couple legendaries, a couple of majestics, and like you're good to go. Um, so I, I'd like to see that that kind of product as well. I think, that, I think that could be really cool, especially since, you know, Flesh and Blood doesn't rotate. Uh, so like seeing yeah. this later on, like in, in a year or two, would be awesome. It would be a great way to get reprints and a great way to kind of just get your foot in the door without having to, you know, scour through four years, five years of booster products. Oh, that's the interesting mm. thing, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, because the, 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 the sets don't rotate, you know, as time goes on, yeah. if someone wants to play the older heroes, how do they get those heroes? Are they just defunct at that stage? Like five years later, is Katsu just not an option anymore? I, I, think, um, I think the history packs are their solution to that. But yeah. I don't know how often they're going to reprint them. I mean, that's the thing. Like, do they reprint yeah. all the history packs every single time a new one comes out? Because they come out every two years. So, like, two years from now, we'll have history pack two that has Aria, Monarch, and Everfest. And, like, at that time, I have a feeling we'll desperately need history pack one again, right? Because um, it'll be, like, two years out of print, and all, like, people are going to need their E-Strikes and, you know, tunics mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um so hopefully, hopefully that's a product they keep printing, um, even if like they're not printing Welcome to Wraith or Arcane Rising anymore. Hopefully they'll just be like, "Yep, here's his History Pack One again." Yeah, uh, it's white bordered, yeah. but here you go. I I absolutely loved the idea of History Pack One when they first announced it because like even as and I've said this before, even as an entrenched player, having easy access for new people to like the best of cards for yeah. you know a certain a certain uh, period of time especially as it gets later and later where you know access to these cards isn't as easy 
Um, I think it's phenomenal. Uh, like I don't care. Like it, I don't care about the value of my own tunic. If somebody else has a whiteboard or one, it like doesn't change anything, but then they're able to play with this card that is objectively very good. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit disheartened when I heard that the, um, the allocation was a lot less than what people were anticipating. Um, like my local game store apparently only got about 20% of what they were initially either what they ordered or what they were promised or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, same with you. I, I hope that this is something that they keep up and they just keep printing it. Um, because having that as like even, you know, prize packs for events, um, I think that's a no brainer for getting these cards just into circulation, um, and making sure that people have easy access to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, my, my one complaint, uh, if I'm able to, uh, give my own, uh, input oh, onto yeah, please, please. the entry level product thing <laughs> is, yeah. uh, I, the one complaint that I do have about the Blitz decks as they are, um, I do like them and they're totally fine as decks, but they don't have a very easy, like, learn to play thing included. Agreed. Um, yeah, actually. Like, for, for Magic decks, there's just a little, like, folded thing that just tells you the long and short of how to play and, like, what each of the cards does and whatever. Um, but for, for the Blitz decks, it, it's literally just the cards and that's it. Is there um, a. Is there a QR code in there? I don't remember. Uh, there might be, but I think it like it might not be this dire. But if I remember correctly, it literally just like sends you to the comprehensive rules. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, um, a QR code sending you to like an official how to play, or even like an unofficial one, like uh, the Talarian Community College how to play would be would be great. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Some board games that I picked up recently do that. Like they have they have the rule book, but they also have a big QR code at the beginning of the rule book. They're like, if you don't want to read this. Just watch the video, and I'm like, sweet. I'm just gonna watch. The, just gonna watch the video. Put it on two x speed. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny you mentioned this because the original Hero decks did have rule books in them. They had the the old school tiny rule books that were like pretty pretty thick actually. Um, and so I think they backtracked on that. Maybe for price. Maybe they didn't think they needed them. But uh, for whatever reason, I, I think it is interesting they, that they cut them out. Yeah, but. Uh... But yeah, I, I like the I like the Blitz decks as a starting point. Um, I like the um, classic battles or whatever it is. Um, I forget what the name of it is every 13 seconds. But uh, I like the idea of that as like the next step up sort of deal. Oh, yeah. um, but my, my main concern, like when I was trying to get people into the game and I just said, oh, you should pick up the Blitz decks. Their next question was, what do I do now? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that is um, very fair. That's very, very, very fair. Yeah, but uh, other than that, like I, th I think they are doing very well, and they're being very receptive to the community, um, like by and large, from what I've seen. Um, so yeah, they're, what they're doing for entry-level products thus far is really good, but I would love just a little bit more clarity on what, like how to play the game contained within the actual entry-level product. I agree. There's a, actually a... What would be great is if they if they did do like a QR code thing, and once again, I don't know if they're doing this now or not, but there is a section on the official website. Uh, if you go to just fabtcg.com and you click on welcome at the very top, there is, it just says welcome to Flesh and Blood, and then it has like four things you can click that teach you how to play the game. There's like learn to play video, quick start rules, print and play decks. So just, just having like a QR code mm -hmm that just takes you to that would be great. 
Like, I don't know if they do yeah. that already, but if they don't, that would be awesome because it's the, the information is already here and then you can click with whatever you need. And a s small, humble brag, uh, one of my videos is on that section too. So uh, <laughs> go watch one of my videos. It's uh, my, my video is the how to start playing Flesh and Blood. I don't talk about the rules. I talk about the products, like all the available mm -hmm. products and which ones to get as a new player. Yeah, but, um, it's right on there. Red Zone Rogue, hey. <laughs> yep, and next to Noxious, Talarian Community College. Shout out to all these. Uh, DM Armada. Great, great dudes. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. Uh, next, next question. Oh, this is a, this is a doozy. All right, not a doozy that it's hard, but it might be a long, long question. So, what draws you to Flesh and Blood over other trading card games? And oh, yeah, that one's from uh, Betty Electron. Yep, at Betty Electron. Yeah. Um. I, I guess I'll. I guess I'll start. Um. I. Maybe I shouldn't have started. <laughs> this is going to be long. All right, I'll try to make it quick. Um, a lot of things, to be honest. Um, I play a lot of card games, and I've played a lot of card games throughout my life. I've played almost all of the mainstream ones and tons and tons of, like, little... I don't call them indie ones because they usually have big IPs. Like, I played the Sailor Moon card game and the Gundam Wing card game and a lot of, a lot, a lot of card games. Um, but Flesh and Blood has a very unique um, mechanic system, and... It's just, it's a lot of fun to play. Like, at the end of the day, it's just a lot of fun to play. Um, every game, for the most part, is very close. With some exceptions, there can be some blowouts, but it's rare compared to a lot of other card games, right? Um, yeah. A lot of games are very, very close, down to the wire. It, it, it feels like you're in, like, pitched combat with someone. Um, it mm -hmm. feels kind of like, I described it when I first started playing Flesh and Blood and making videos about it. I described it like a fighting game. It feels like a fighting game between like two equally skilled fighting game players when it comes down to like a couple little hits and uh, it's really exciting and a lot of fun. Uh, I love the world. I love the lore. And, you know, this comes at a time, if you're watching this video in the future, where not a lot of traditional um, fantasy settings exist in card games. There used to be a, a consensus where like, oh, there's a ton of them. There's actually not a ton of them right now. There's like Magic the Gathering is kind of like gearing towards their own thing, right? They have cyberpunk mm. sets. They have, like, mafia-based sets. Like, they, they're kind of, they're doing their own thing, right? I wouldn't describe magic as traditional fantasy anymore. It's just kind of like a mishmash of a, a bunch of different stuff. Um, and other than Flesh and Blood, there, there just doesn't exist, like, a, you know, high or maybe even dark fantasy setting. Like, just, it just doesn't. Like, and yeah. for that, I mean, that, that really appeals to me as, like, a long-time uh, player of uh, Dungeons and & Dragons, and um, mm -hmm. I really, really appreciate the, the world and the lore. So there's, like, for me, there's, it's many, many layers. Um, the, everything from the, the world, the characters, um, the game system is fantastic. And also, I, I think I should mention this, too. Something that really impressed me early on, and I'm always still impressed by them, uh, is the company, uh, Legend Store Studios. Um, they impressed me early by just... You know, being nice to me, and that's not something a lot of companies do to to content creators, right? Like, not only did they acknowledge me, but they were like nice to me early on when my channel was much smaller. Um, yeah, and uh, they they continue to to support the community, content creators of all sizes, and um, you know, talking with the people who work there, getting to know them a little bit better. They're all like really genuine people, and they really just care about what they're doing and not just for monetary reasons. Like they just, they care about the product they make and they care about like, you know, the same things that we care about 
the world, the lore, mm -hmm. the mechanics. They want to make a good game. So all of those reasons are why is why I like Flesh and Blood over. It's why it's my favorite game. Um, yeah, and I'll chip it. I'll chip. I'll chip in of just one of yeah, those yeah. points that you said there, in regards to the uh, with regards to the content creators behind the game. Now, obviously, on this podcast right now, we have potentially the largest Flesh and Blood content creator. We have uh, we have Bill from the Spike Feeders, and we have me, all at different levels of our journeys with regards to creating content for the game, and yet. We've all received, you know, stuff from LSS to uh, as as appreciation for for what we do at all at all levels, mm. no matter what numbers we do. Yeah. You know, they they sit that they see the the passion in what us as creators are doing, and you know they love they love that, which is which is fantastic. You wouldn't see that from any other company, I don't think, um, mm. or at least yeah. I haven't. So yeah, that was very very humbling when you know someone like myself. From from my experience, still very very small in comparison to what's out there, um, but yeah, very very humbling on, on that on that side. Absolutely, I uh, that was one of the things too that completely took me off guard. Um, like we had been making magic content for the Spike Feeders for you know years. I think we started September yeah. 2017 or something, oh, okay, yeah. um, and uh, we have never gotten a preview card uh, or like a shout out or anything from. Mm -hmm uh wizards for anything that we did and we didn't like expect it we wanted it uh like we were you know trying to be as active as we could in the community and whatever and we never fully expected anything from them and we never got it and we we're like okay whatever um and then yeah within i don't know it was like three months or something of us creating flesh and blood content we got a, a shout or we got a um uh chris buley reached out to us and yeah. was like hey do you want a preview card for everfest and we were like uh Yes, <laughs> we really, really do. <laughs> we were so excited. And then uh, even before we got into Flesh and Blood in general, um, friend of the channel and personal friend, uh, Olivia Gobert Hicks, oh, yeah. uh, who is an extremely talented cosplayer, um, got like a Prism care package from Legend Story Studios because they were like, hey, we want you to cosplay Prism at this event. Here's all of the reference material you'll need to make like an accurate um, cosplay. And they also gave her, like, I think it was, like, she mentioned, like, two grand worth of promo cards. Yep. Um, in addition to, like, art and all this stuff. And it's, like, that's so cool. It's it's such a hands-on, like, welcoming approach just to be, like, hey, we appreciate you and we appreciate your talents. Um, and, like, we want you to be part of our community. And uh, it's it's very powerful. And it's very obvious when you talk to other people who are as you know, as entrenched in the game as we are, yeah. where you just, you have these, you know, from a balancing perspective, I have seen a lot of people say, oh, well, LSS doesn't know what they're doing, whatever. And like, they're, they're still a young studio. They're still making a game that's relatively new. These things do happen. It's just like uh, growth, but their heart is absolutely in the right place. And I think they're making all the right steps. Agreed. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, that's one of the things that really draws me in, uh, in addition to just how the game is played in general. I think the like the granular decision-making within a game, um, the fact that if you sequence correctly, the game immediately rewards you, and it's such a great feeling. Um, but in general, I just think that the the potential for growth for Flesh and Blood is astronomical right now. Oh, yeah. Like, I, can, I cannot see the ceiling of it. I think that it there's still so much space for them to explore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I mean, um, we still have so many regions left in the world to to experience so many yeah. talents. Yeah. 
We've never actually been to metrics. <laughs> like, we've, ne- we've ne- never been to metrics, the pits, uh, Mysteria, the Savage Lands. We're going to Volcor for the first time, but there's still like four other major regions that we haven't even yeah. been to yet. And uh, in the official art book, they had that like um, that whatever it was, it was like a matrix or a graph or whatever of all of the different like vocations within Wraith. Oh, uh, yeah. Like basically talking about all the different heroes that there could be or all the different classes. So that's another thing and that James has mentioned. He said that all of those will be heroes eventually. Yeah. And that's so sick because there's like apothecary, there's assassin, yeah, there's um, necromancer, cleric, necromancer, cleric. Like there are so many cool ones on there, and it just gets you so excited. You're like, oh well, what is this hero going to look like? What are they going to do? What are their cards going to do? Like, uh, it, it's so cool, and I'm really excited to see where they go next. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah, me too. Um, so <laughs> this is another. This is another little cheeky one. This is by Rodomonte. Why did it take you so long? I assume they're saying in regards to making a weekly podcast. Um, <laughs> I mean, for me personally, it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, DM Armada and I tried, but because of like timing and scheduling, it was just kind of difficult. And uh, I just kind of randomly shot out the idea to Bill and as. And uh, they were like, yeah. Like, I was like, what? Really? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, dude, let's, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's like, the whole story, really. Um, we were filming a UPF game, and Kel was like, hey, uh, I noticed that there's kind of a gap in, uh, in the content creation sphere where there isn't just, like, a weekly, here's what's going on. Here's, like, you know, people just talking about stuff. And both Az and I just thought about that, and we're like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> we like to talk about stuff, whatever yeah. it may be. And <laughs> I mean, uh, here's, a, here's a little insight. Like, you know, whenever we play our UPF games, whenever we film them, you know, it, it's always it's always us three that are on for another three hours afterwards just talking <laughs> garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. So, yeah. Usually it's it's watching Kel open the rest of the box that he had opened <laughs> yeah. for a Go Bananas. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what else yeah. am I going to do with the box, I guess? I mean, I, I could do things yeah. with it, but eh, I'll just open it up, right? Hey. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we were like already pretty comfortable chatting with each other. Like, we're pretty good pals at this point. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, having more of an excuse to talk about flesh and blood, just, you know, <laughs> it's it was the next logical step anyway. So, I mean, thanks to Kel for initiating it. Cheers. I mean, I just want to talk about flesh and blood more, and I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> this is a great, this is a great opportunity." I think, and like you said, like you said, like I, I saw like a, an opening, uh, and there's a lot of like competitive podcasts and, and that kind of stuff. But I was like, "Let's just Pretty do like, a, mm-hmm. let's do a all all encompassing one." Yeah, um, yeah, we're here to to appreciate every facet, every aspect. Uh, next question is from Mink Krenko Thrice Reborn at Goblin Boon. <laughs> Underplayed and underloved heroes and cards. I swear any Ranger fan or maybe even like Brute fan out there is <laughs> chomping at the bit for this one, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Mink is uh, a very prominent member of our community, uh, our Discord community. Um, and he is an absolutely great guy. He is a, he is a meme lord uh, above all else. Um, nice. And I know for a fact that when he wrote this, he wants me to talk about Levia. Uh, Levia is his favorite hero, like bar none. 
he loves everything about her because she's kind of, if you think about it, the goblin of flesh and blood. Kind of, <laughs> Where, yeah. Where, yeah, she, uh, just the, the whole aesthetic of her and the fact that she's like, you know, a little bit undertuned, which you could kind of argue um, I mean, her, a little bit. Her but. hero power is like the only hero power that's not a buff. It's like preventing yeah. her from dying. <laughs> that's what her hero power is. Yeah, it's it's literally just a, you could die, but sometimes you don't, um, yeah. which is like, cool, that's what every hero does at a base. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely think that uh, Levia, I have seen Levia played to like phenomenal success oh, before. Yeah, 100%. Um, one of the people that made it to our top four in our, uh, wasn't the skirmish, was it? Yeah, it would have been the PTQ. Um, but the one of the people that made it to top four was Levia, and they were slapping people all day. It was nuts. Like the the amount of damage they were putting out on a blood rush bellow turn was yes. oh, yeah. it's I had I had never seen it before. They claw for seven, man. Yeah, it's brutal. And it's uh, it's the sort of thing though with uh, like we were talking about with Ranger previously, where it is just like a consistency issue. Um, and I think that you know if they had maybe a little bit more of a consistent way to selectively banish cards from their from their graveyard just to turn off blood debt. Or if they had more cards that um, sort of worked off of however many cards you have in your blood debt to, you know, the further you are in debt, the more of a, like, one last push you can get. Um, but, yeah, yeah it makes I think that's... as well, pushed. because, you know, yeah. thematic, thematically, she's, you know, demonic, isn't she? So, mm-hmm. you know, the more, the more in debt to your deity that you are, the more power you're going to have, but the more on the edge you're going to be. So... Exactly. So yeah, I think I think yeah that that would be that would be awesome. Yeah. So I have two little stories about Levia. The first one is from the Pro Tour. We actually got Levia on feature match. Uh, so if folks out there love Levia and you'd like to watch some high level Levia played, uh, there is a feature match of a friend of mine, Ian Kenderdine, um, oh, piloting yeah. Levia uh, at the Pro Tour. I'm not going to spoil how that ended, but Ian is definitely a showman and it is a very very fun match to watch. Um, he's one of the people that I like, he's a friend of mine and he was piloting Levia. So it was really easy for me to convince, uh, the coverage team to, to put him on. He was two and O at the time, by the way. Um, so I was like, I have a friend of mine. He used to work at LSS. He's like one of the first players to reach a thousand, uh, lifetime XP and he's piloting Levia. And I'm like, we need to get this guy in the feature match. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. So <laughs> it's a, it's a very cool match. And then the other one is same guy, Ian Kenderdine. Uh, just did a pro quest yesterday, and he got in the top eight with Levia. Uh, in fact, uh, two Levias got in the top eight of their pro quest, and this was like a stacked pro quest because this is in New Zealand, and I think the competitors were uh, Matt Rogers, Kale McCreeth, Nick Butcher, all incredibly skilled players, and two Levias made it into the top eight. So there's some nice. there's some skilled Levia players out there. Definitely some Levia love. So uh, you know you'll love to see it. Was yeah. Ian wearing his Brute Squad t-shirt on that stream as well? <laughs> I, I think so. He, uh, I got a little bit of the footage of him physically playing in my Pro Tour recap. Like, you can kind of just see him playing. I, he might be wearing the Brute Squad shirt. <laughs> I, uh, I actually helped him playtest uh, that deck. I, I was like, he was preparing for the Pro Tour, and I was like, hey, I'll help you playtest. Uh, what deck do you want me to build? And... He's like, chain. I'm like, all right, I'm just going net deck, whatever top chain deck deck there is. I'll just yeah. run it into your Levia. And uh, he's got some really explosive turns. Yeah, Levia, 
Levia can be a powerhouse, and Levia can also just kill herself. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's how it goes. Any other underplayed uh, and underloved heroes and cards you guys want to talk about before I move on? I know we talked uh, a lot about Ranger already. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we can we can just put that in here. We can just like refer back to when we're yeah. talking about Ranger. Have that be another entry. But honestly, right now, I think that not necessarily by the community, but I think that Katsu is yeah, kind of underloved by LSS. Um, yeah, I, I think the design space of combo is so cool. Um, but the fact that you know they only they've only had the um, the supplemental sets to sort of build out their rep their repertoire yeah. and the fact that uh everfest really only had stuff for benji like you can play some of the stuff in katsu but it doesn't really mesh with the game plan as well yeah um i would love to see where they're going with ninja next because i think that it's like it's almost there um just needs a little bit more support yeah it's coming too isn't it it's yeah mm -hmm. see i was gonna so say <laughs> I, I agree with that. I think uh, the there's two that I think are underplayed and underloved right now, but that's going to change in the next like year and a half. I think Ninja uh, is going to see a resurgence with Uprising because every every new Flesh and Blood set, all of the heroes are like bangers and they become like top tier <laughs> top tier heroes for the most part. Yeah. Uh, even Ranger has been able to sneak up, you know, get some get some wins there for, with Lexi. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other one is Mechanologist, and I yep. would bet a lot that the next big set after this one, not the next immediate set, but the next big set, will heavily feature Mechanologist. So uh, I have a feeling that Mech will have its day soon. I'm excited to see that, too. I love Mechanologist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, think, I think it's going to be a, a big deal, too, when it hits, because of just how Mechanologist functions, and the fact that the Mechanologist border and Dash's border are the same border um, oh, kind of yeah. play into this. Someone asked this at the Pro Tour to James because they're like, well, is the Mechanologist, is Mechanologist a class or a talent, right? Because usually the heroes, the hero's border, signify what talent they have. Um, so if you look at, uh, let's say, uh, let's pick like Le Le Levia, right? So she has the shadow border because um, she has the shadow talent and she's from the monastery. So they all kind of coincide. Um, mm -hmm. Same with uh, the new hero like Dromai and Fi. They have the draconic border signifying that they have the draconic talent and also that they're from Volcor. Same with uh, Kano. Doesn't have the draconic talent, but it signifies that he's from Volcor. Well, the mechanologist mm -hmm. like Dash has that mech border, but so do all of the mech cards, which is like unique. There's no other case that this happens in the game right when you think about like uh, the ranger border for example like azalea doesn't have that border she has a different border so i think yeah, i same think borders campaign yeah so i think mm -hmm. mech mech is going to be the, they got some weird stuff going on uh james mentioned it. he didn't speak too much but he says uh it will make sense and it's all there for a reason so i think i think mech's going to be pretty spicy when we when we uh go to uh, metrics yeah, it all goes back to um, as well uh, a podcast. I was uh, well, not a podcast, but a discussion I was on where we looked at the Everfest cards, and one of the one of the cards on there was Blade Runner. Yeah, and if you look if you look at the art, it looks like it's basically a warrior, but with mech gear on. Mm -hmm. So it, it could even be a talent when we go to metrics, couldn't it? Like you said, it could have it could be like mech warrior or mech something. Mechanologist warrior, man, that's a lot of that's a lot of typeface. <laughs> Be really small font. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The possibilities are endless. 
Yeah, I'm really mm-hmm. excited for that. All right, so yeah. next one from Michael Schroeder at M Shredder. Uh, what do you believe to be the most underrated or underused card in the game? Um, so not specifically uh, hero or uh, um, you know talent or anything general, but just a card. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think is the most underrated card in all of Flesh and Blood? This question is like deceptively hard Um, (laughs) because because when you're looking at this sort of question, you're either trying to parse it as what class card is underused by their hero or what generic card is underused overall, Mm. Um, which makes it just very slightly. I I think I have one, but it's it's very specific to Blitz. Mm-hmm. I think Vest of the First Fist is currently very underused. Now, it might be more used now that uh, Hardened Crosstrap is banned, but Vest mm-hmm. of the First Fist, Blitz is like a three-turn format these days, and so you're not really going to get ton, tons of use out of your tunic, and Vest of the First Fist in an aggro deck is like double a tunic in that, that time period, and it's also like dirt cheap. And uh, mm-hmm. I think people running tunic, there's a good chance if you're running tunic and you're playing an aggro deck... That I think Vest is just better for your deck. Yeah. So that that's my I, pick. I think I think largely in Blitz, Tunic is like not a good card. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a the, it's like an iron iron rod <laughs> plate, basically. Yeah. That like sometimes has the upside of making you a single resource, yeah. which is like fine, but yeah, in CC you can definitely see it shine more um when it starts adding like, you know, two or three oh, for resource sure. over the course of a game. Mm. Um I think and this is kind of a weird one because I think like in general, the talismans and items from Everfest didn't see a lot of love. I think that, um, oh, which one is it? Talisman of Warfare. Um, the one where if you deal two damage, like exactly two damage to a hero, it breaks and you destroy all cards and arsenals. Mm, yeah. Um, I saw a list that was playing a one of of that in chain. And I think that that's like the biggest brain thing of all time. <laughs> And I think I like that it, it's a shoe in for the deck at the very least as a one of because you're playing Rosetta Thorn and that's two instances of two damage. <laughs> I no, no joke. When I was building my UPF wizard deck, I really wanted to include that and then the Aether Conduit that deals two arcane damage and just to kind of get people like get them with the Aether Conduit and the stupid talisman. Yeah. I love that. Like, I think that that's uh, like, I don't know that to me, when I saw that and I was like, oh, why is this guy running this card? I mean, it pitches for two resources. It's a non-attack action with go again. Like, sure. And then I played it out and attacked with the Rosetta Thorn and my mind just like imploded (laughs) on itself. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. I like it it a lot. Yeah. So I think for fringe scenario, isn't it? But it's great. Yeah. (laughs) But I think basically in any chain deck, I'm going to be running at least one, um, just because I think it's it, it works. It puts in so much work. <laughs> I think it's sweet. Yeah. Do you have a pick, As? What about you, As? Uh, underrated card that I, I use quite a lot, because uh, I play a lot of a lot of Azalea, always tinkering with it. What I think is something is very, very underrated, but potentially not used in current metas and what have you, is Feign Death, mm. which, basically just, mm. which basically just says, if you've been dealt damage this turn... You pay one as an instant. You prevent damage from the next source. You just literally just say no to that. So it's basically a counter spell, mm-hmm. but um, it only really works if you're being hit multiple times. And if you're being hit multiple times, it's not you're not really getting 
you're not really getting a huge a huge bit of value out of it because you're normally getting hit for like four five four five rather than just like four have a yeah. um i did have a a use against wizard with it because obviously wizard can do a massive amount of damage out of nowhere especially on the last the last things they do like blazing aethers yeah. and stuff mm-hmm. so if you play feign death against a blazing aether you're basically you could basically prevent 20 odd damage from one source um so it's definitely a sideboard card for against wizards now that i found um uh feign death i usually just play like a lot of take covers uh, i do like mm-hmm. i do like the take covers as well but yeah feign death i think is one that i really like um yeah. and it might see <clears throat> might see more play going forward because it might be more ninjas more aggro stuff so we'll see i uh i kind of hate feign death because <laughs> back in this is right when crucible of war came out I was playing OTK Viscerai, like an old school OTK Viscerai, right? Where you would yeah. basically, um, you'd, you'd crack your uh, Skeleta, but you wouldn't be doing Sonata Arcanics because it wasn't out yet. You would be doing like Slogism into Arknight Ascendancy. So that would yeah. be like 11 Dominate plus like a million Rune Chants. Um, and then you would create a bunch of Rune Chants on, on the back of the, on the <laughs> Dominated. So what I was playing against, um, shout out to Fab Foundry, I was playing against uh, Onnit from Fab Foundry. Um, in, in the flesh and blood, because he's local here. And uh, I was, I was kind of comboing off. Not comboing off. I, I, was, I was going off, right? It was my, my, it was my kill turn. And yeah. I, you know, crack my Skeleta, play my red Slogism for free, play my, uh, <laughs> play my Arknight Ascendancy with Pummel in hand and a resource, right? Oh. So I, I was ready to get him. And yeah, I'm like, all right, here you go. And he goes, um, I'll take the Rune Chance. Take the enchant damage, and then I'm like, okay, cool. And he's like, feign death, everything else. And I was Absolutely. like, oh no, <laughs> oh, this is like yeah. the perfect card. It, it like prevented eleven damage and made it so my pummel was useless. Like, oh, so good. Yeah, I mean, it, it can prevented be such, the rune chance. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the thing. It, I actually asked um, some some folks in my Discord, like, is there a way that I can damage myself because I want to play feign death at any time? You know, if there, if there was a card that said deal one damage to yourself, I would take it because I want to be able to play it at any time. Because, you know, if you're playing against Starvo, for instance, and he hits you with a dominated crippling crush, yeah. and you just feign, if you feign death, mm-hmm. it does absolutely nothing. Um, and that's the reason why I think K- uh, Kano was, was so good against Starvo is because it doesn't matter whether you're discarding your hand because you can play on their turn anyway. Yep. So I think that was the, one of the main things why he was so disruptive. Um I know, I know I'm going off a bit off topic here, but I think we I think we should see more cards that interact with the player's hand, because if they, if you're starving them of their of your of their hand, I think that's another great design space that they could go into. Um, yeah. that can disrupt them completely. And Lexi does a little bit of it. Uh, there's you know a couple of Ranger Azalea cards that strip strip stuff from the hand, but I think it's another thing that another potential strategy that's underutilized is discard effects. Yeah. One of my favorite cards in the game is the Winter's Bite, the the ice card that does that. Like yeah. they have to pay pay some research. It's particularly the blue one. I love the blue one um, because it forces. But they still have to pitch. They still have to yeah. discard anyway. Like it, yeah. no matter what, they have to get rid of something. And the blue one, it, it's even more hilarious because it's like you have to pay one, but I mean, yeah. it still rips a, a, an entire card from their hand unless they've got like a tunic or something active. Exactly. So it's yeah. it's super nice. Um, so I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, that's where we ended up. Yeah, no, I agree though. I, I, I like. I think there's a lot of design space uh, in Flesh and Blood for that. Absolutely. Um, 
So, uh, what are your predictions for the next set of heroes after Uprising? And uh, I kind of already talked about this a little bit, but uh, yeah. will we continue on the three-hero train, or will they go back to four? Will there be only existing hero classes, or will they add new classes to the mix? And I think we already talked about that, too. This is from Emery Powell at Emery Powell 6. Um, mm. I'll fire this off real quick and let you guys talk, because uh, I, I mentioned all of these things a little bit already. Um, I think we're definitely going to be seeing Mechanologist in the next big set, I think, because it's the only class that hasn't had a second big set support uh, in the entire game now. Um, before, it was uh, Illusionist, Ninja, and Mech, and now that we have... Uh, Illusionist and Ninja and Uprising, Mech's the last one. So I think Mech is a pretty good bet. For the three-hero thing, I don't know. I think it can go either way, depending on how they want to go. I think if it's a metrics pit set, I think if it's a combined metrics pit set, I think two and two makes a lot of sense, like two from each yeah. region. And then um, the only existing hero classes or add new classes. Uh, this is just a fact. James literally said that every single class that appeared in the lore book will appear in Flesh and Blood eventually. So we're definitely going to see some new classes at some point as well. But uh, that, that's my little spiel. I'll, I'll kick it off to you guys to elaborate if you'd like to. I'm interested okay. to see what Az thinks here. Yeah, yeah so uh, yeah, so I, I, would absolutely I would absolutely love for it to be four in the next one, like you said there. If it, if it is metrics, obviously metrics is joined to the pits. You know, you know the, 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 the people of metrics know of the pits they call it names and stuff i think it's called like the gaping moor it sounds yeah. dirty but the gaping moor sounds is, like a um, dark souls boss yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that sounds like a nickname for the tom l tai madrid dragon the this gaping moor in its chest yeah um, yeah <laughs> so uh but yeah i think um i think that would be a fantastic set to have two heroes uh two heroes of each talent very very similar to Mo uh, to monarch where we had light versus shadow in metrics, it's going to be rich versus poor, almost, yeah. or yeah. scoundrels versus um, you know higher echelons of society. I think that sort of conflict would be quite good, um, and therefore fitting for two heroes of each talent. So I think that's a good shout, potentially. Any uh, mm -hmm. any predictions from you guys on what uh, classes we might see coming up soon? Oh, it's got to be the Red Zone Rogue, surely. It's got to be the Assassin. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> I, I'm going to freak out when they do Assassin. Like, I I want to... Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. You know you're getting those cards as well, don't you? Ah, fingers thing. crossed, man. If <laughs> if I ever get to spoil a hero, I want it to be the Assassin, man. Absolutely. That would be so cool. Yeah. I think it would be a major fumble if they didn't, you know? <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah. Like, you've, you've solidified yourself as the... Uh, as the red zone rogue. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, come on. Assassin is a subclass of rogue in D&D. It's just like, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> it's, it's all right there. It's a gimme. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't know specifically what classes are going to be coming next. And obviously, like, that's super obvious. Why would I know? But the ones that I would love to see are ones that we've kind of already talked about. I would love to see um, like maybe a new type of ranger yeah. um, just so that we can explore that space a little bit more. Maybe they can attempt to fix some of their, their past, you know, overbalancing as it were. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see mechanologist and ninja because they're the only classes established classes that we have thus far that have had only one, sort of set to deal with. I guess Illusionist is the same, but we have them coming up soon, so I'm going to stroke them off the list. Um, 
And then I think the class that I'm most excited for, like on the horizon, is probably Bard. Um, okay, yeah. Just just because I want to see what they're going to do with it. Um, because obviously it, you can, I'm pretty sure every single person, if you're looking at it from like a PVE perspective, you can see what a bard's going to do, right? It's just going to be about healing, healing spells and whatever. But it's like, how do you balance that when you're fighting against, in a 1v1 combat scenario against a brute? It's like, I am a healer. I'm a tiny little healer, man. You're thinking of like the sort of like the white mage from Final Fantasy. Yeah. How do you balance that as a 1v1 fight? And I think they can do it. So that's, uh, but I just don't know what that's going to look like. That's interesting design space. So we, we do have Yorick as the bard. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think they'll start printing support cards for these oddball classes? So we have Yorick as a card, but we also have something like Cavdane, right? Who's a merchant. Mm-hmm. And we don't have any support for either of them. Uh, do you think we'll start seeing support like that? Maybe in like a supplemental or expansion set? or Where do you think they I... go with that? We've got to it. We've got to see. I, I think so. Yeah. Uh, for for Cavdane, we did see a little bit of support in Everfest. Uh, we got uh, silver palms and uh, a bunch of other things that interact with uh, silvers and coppers. Oh yes, it's, but, it's silver palms um, is a merchant equipment, isn't it? It is specifically a merchant equipment. Yeah, that's But the other cards that are like kind of merchant support are generics. Um, yeah. So I will like that. That is uh, sort of a given. But I think they could definitely start printing class cards. Also, I think I misspoke and said bard when I definitely meant cleric. Oh. Um, but but both I would I would still love to see both from like a because you know Yorick and um, even to an extent like Taylor yeah. are like promo cards they're not really meant to be within flesh and blood like the major competitive aspect of it oh for sure they're, they're um, only legal in UPF anyway yeah so like what what are we going to do once we see an actual like cleric or bard hero what is that going to look like, you know? Um, As an aggro player, the idea of a cleric just scares me. I'm like, please just stop healing. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I like, can think of that already. Yeah, exactly, are, yeah. Like, are they, are they going to do that? Like, lean into self-heal and life management and stuff? Because then I think that extends, that elongates games too much. It's like the old him effect where, you know, if you print too many cards for this cleric class that... Um, that help you survive long enough, but then don't give you tools to end the game, then everybody just goes to time and there are a bunch of ties and stuff yeah. and that's not fun. Interesting. So if they do print a cleric class in a main set, how are they going to do it? Like that's the sort of thing that I'm focused on is I really want to see what they're going to, how they're going to implement it. Yeah. That's a good um, point. Um, yeah. Because I can see them going like a like a battle cleric paladin kind of route, right? So they have a bunch mm-hmm. of attacks, but maybe the attacks, you know, on hit heal or prevent damage or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, that that is very interesting to think about. Or if they just lean in, yeah. like I'm just going to heal a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird line that they have to walk, but I think they can do it. Um, there's a bunch of different routes that I think they could potentially take. Um, not any one of them is objectively correct but i do just really want to see it i have these uh i think i have two extra um part of fiendles currently yeah oh, nice. <laughs> and i just want an excuse to be able to run them and have the life gain like mean something <laughs> like actually like, <laughs> if it, if you know you gain life and a trigger happens because it's on your hero like i think that would be oh, really I cool see. i'm gonna bring sun kiss and <laughs> exactly the yeah bring, bring it back um <laughs> uh, nice all right so yeah 
That was <laughs> that was that question. I love how elaborate we're going with these. Um, <laughs> the next one is from Tom Lost But Seeking at Smith's account. And it says, what advice would you give to people wanting to grow a community in their area? So I think this is one that you wanted to talk about, Bill. Uh, and uh, or what tips would you give to people who want to play fab competitively? So those are pretty two different ones. Let's talk about the community one, and I'll, I'll toss it mm-hmm. to you, uh, Bill. Yeah. So something that I've found a lot of success with uh, personally um, in terms of our local community is making sure that the, um, the, the types of events that are being held are diverse um, mm-hmm. because it's very easy for somebody, especially from a store owner perspective. And I have talked to my uh, both of my local game stores as uh, owners about this sort of thing. And uh, they've seen a lot of success in terms of just butts in seats like people are here to play uh, with blitz events um, because it's super easy. You can either pick up a blitz deck or you can throw one together. Um, it's not difficult or expensive to at least get playing. But once you have people that are sort of established and they're getting into um, playing on a regular basis, they start tuning up their decks. They start uh, becoming a little bit more competitive and uh, it makes it a little bit harder for the newer players to really want to come back on a regular basis because there are some people um in our uh in our local meta that are newer and they they just like the community aspect of it they like you know hanging out with people all the people in our local meta are just like really accepting and cool and that's like another part of it um but we have had some people that are like i don't care if i lose every match because i'm coming out to play and even though they're saying that, like, it would feel bad, right? You you come out to an event, you're paying for the entry, you sit down and you just get slapped around all the time. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, like, that, like, just making sure that you have other options. Um, like, one of the things that we're actually looking into at one of our stores is uh, starting up commoner events. Oh, nice. And um, commoner very much levels the playing field. Um, and, you know, it, it does focus a little bit more on skill rather than money even though I did say that that's not like a huge thing for flesh and blood, but when blitz games are so fast anyway, like the legendaries sometimes do matter. Yeah. And it, um, it, it, it takes the uh, level of entry, the barrier to basically zero, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's one of the other things that I've uh, sort of, I've, I've been trying to like swing this in a way that allows me to justify it a little bit better, but I buy a lot of sealed product. And yeah. so I have a <laughs> lot of bulk. <laughs> So whenever somebody new comes in uh, to our our community and they're like, oh, I'm really interested in playing this class, but I don't have any cards for it. I'm like, okay, I will come back next week and I'll put together a care package of every single common and rare that you will ever need for this class. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, just like, you know, just provide that because it doesn't affect me. Like even if I wanted to sell them, it would end up being like a couple bucks, you know, like it's much more valuable to me to have a new player have access to every single you know at least basic card that they could um because then you know maybe they then say you know what i do want to buy these majestics they're like five bucks each i didn't feel right about it before but i can see now why they're good they can make sort of a more um uh informed decision about it instead of just being like well to play this game i'd have to put in a bunch of money and i don't want to do that and so um that's another thing that i've seen a lot of personal success with is just making sure that people you know it's it's the the old adage the first one's free right right yeah <laughs> just gotta That's get on the <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah um how about you guys have you 
had any initiatives that you've taken to sort of grow your local community? Um, well, I mean, I could, I could talk a little bit about this. Locally here in, in Portland, I, I'm fortunate in that I, I kind of didn't have to. So early on, I did. Early on, this is super early. I'm talking about like before Arcane Rising came out. I got mm-hmm. the uh, LSS sent me a booster box, some welcome, or some of the hero decks, some play mats, and I immediately loved the game. And I just wanted every place to carry it. And that was a very tall ask. I called all of my LGSs, especially the ones that I would frequent, um, and the ones that I play like D&D at, and they all basically told me no. Um, they were like, no, nah, we don't cover, we don't sell anything that's not Magic or Pokemon. Um, is basically the, the answer I got for a lot of places. Um, fortunately, on the other hand, we, we did have a couple places that were already kind of um, carrying it. So I do want to give a shout out to Gongai Games in Beaverton. They're a little bit far away from me, but they've been carrying Flesh and Blood since almost the start. And then you also have uh, Fabled Hobby and uh, Fab Foundry, who now uh, opened up his own store called Discs and Dice, a brick and mortar store here. Uh, and they've been champions of the game for a very long time. So fortunately for, for me in my area, at least locally, um, I had these other people uh, who were kind of like championing it. Um, for me personally, I, I, I figured my role would be to help grow the game um, awareness, like online, and that's always been one of my big goals is to, you know, get people to play the games that I love, and I don't love any game more than Flesh and Blood, so that that's a big goal for me <laughs> is just to try to get people to play the game and whenever anyone comes up to me at, at an event or they just leave a comment and they say hey you're the reason why i play flesh and blood then i'm like that's amazing that's the best thing that i can hear is because it means what i'm doing is getting the effect that that i want uh and so yeah that, that's where it is uh from from my perspective mm-hmm. nice yeah for me um i don't have i don't have a store local to me that does it either um so my sort of motivation really was starting a youtube channel and you know mm-hmm. setting the president from the start you know this statement like if you build it they will come be the change that you want to see in the world all that yeah. sort of stuff mm-hmm. is relevant because there's a lot of people that are in my discord or in my community that don't have local game stores but they have online setups due to the pandemic so it's a it's a place where people can come to play that wouldn't actually be able to play the game else, you know, in their local game stores. They don't have one, but they still like the game for the same reasons I do, like the lore. They've got into it through the characters and everything, and they want to explore the game that way. They want to just get boxes in their own in their own time. They can't venture out for whatever reason that is. Um, that's the reason I built the, the the channel and set the president from the start. So I think that's another a whole other space entirely is is online communities and building that up for yeah. people to to come and feel comfortable in that environment as well um uh, and i think i've had i think i've had a, a bit of success with that as well like the go again gaming open tournaments that i do that are all live streamed on the day there's people from all over the world in there that play on the day in all different time zones that you know are getting involved and you know they might not have stores that they can play at or they can't go to stores for whatever reason so um i think that that is another very very important aspect of building the community and we've got an awesome one in this game, I think. So yeah, I agree. Awesome people in it. Hundred um, yeah. percent. The second part to that question was tips on getting into competitive play. Now, none of us are really like pro tour grinders here, but mm-hmm. I can I can give a couple tips. 
um, just in general, right? If you're coming in and you've never played a competitive TCG and you want to get into it competitively, I can give you a couple tips, um, but it's all going to come down to hard work. Because I, I used to play competitive Magic and competitive uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, actually, way, way back in the day in, like, high school. Mm. I played in what was called the Super Series for Magic the Gathering. If you're old like me, you might know what that is. Uh, I played in the Super Series and I played in the Junior Super Series. Um, mm. And uh, what it boils down to is playing a lot. Like, playing a lot, a lot. And testing and refining your deck and knowing everything in and out. And it, it really just kind of just boils down to playtesting, playing. If you can find a good group of folks to do that with, um, that will help you a, a ton, like, infinitely. Especially... Uh, like-minded individuals with really good like work ethics um, and like who will help you get better and you know there's a saying like steel sharpens steel or whatever just mm-hmm. you know if you can find people who are better than you that that's even that's even better um, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion like playtesting with people who are at the same skill level or, or better than you will, will definitely help you get better losing helps you get better and that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize when they start out like they just want to win all the time but uh, you can learn a lot more from losing than winning. Um, Definitely. And having that mentality of like, you know, not, not just like taking your lumps or whatever, but, but growing and learning from, from loss is really what makes like successful pro players very successful. Um, mm-hmm. And so th- that's basically my tips. Just, just yeah. play a lot and you got to really get in the right mindset. Um, if you get salty when you lose a lot, then... It's going to be a rough, rough path for you. Yeah, I definitely find myself uh, doing that sometimes where especially like the the way that you can learn from losses is by going over the game and sort of trying to find out what that that one decision point is, because usually, at least in my experience in a game of flesh and blood, there is kind of that one where it's like, ah, if I had sequenced this differently or if I didn't block with this. It's like then you can sort of see the cascading effect through the game um, and you can kind of get lost in that uh, again, speaking totally from personal experience. But that is the type of thing that you're that you should be looking for, where it's like, oh, like in this sort of situation, if I didn't block this or if I blocked this with more than one thing, then, you know, you can you can really start to then say, OK, now when I'm going to make a decision like that. I should take a second and look, try to sort of anticipate what the the repercussions of this is going to be. And uh, being able to think that like even one or two steps ahead um, really does help out just from a critical standpoint, um, especially in a game that has so many, as I said earlier, like granular decision points where it's, am I going to try to keep this to pitch it for later? Am I going to, um, you know, maybe pivot my game plan from an aggro perspective to a more control perspective? Like, do I just want to start blocking out with my full hand every turn? Um, and that is really, like, as you said, Cal, something that only comes with experience. Um, you can yeah. read as many articles as you want, um, but you really won't be able to put that into practice until you're actually in the scenario and you have to think about it critically and just say, okay, here's what I'm given, here's what I should do. Like, it's, uh, it is something that does come to you eventually. Like, it feels when you're in the moment like you're never going to get it, where it's like, oh, man, I still don't know what to do here. But as long as you just enjoy the game, like, you will eventually just start getting better at it. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It sounds super, like, hand-wavy, where it's like, ah, you'll get it eventually. But no, it, like, 
you just keep playing the game and it will start to make more sense. The pieces will start to show themselves a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, like, um, the, the people you see, like, at the Pro Tour and, like, on coverage, I mean, they've literally played hundreds and hundreds of hours of Flesh and Blood, like, mm-hmm. like just an absurd amount. Um, yeah. And uh, finding yourself, like, a testing partner that will help you go through these processes um, is very, very valuable. I mean, it's not obviously possible for everyone, but finding yeah. someone who will walk you, like, walk you through these situations, like, oh, what could we have done better and on this turn? Mm-hmm. Like, was this the most optimal turn? And talking through those kind of things just very much helps. I mean, you see this sometimes in some of my videos that I play with, like, uh, Ian and some other folks. So, like, I, I do a turn, and then I immediately think about it, and I'm like, actually, I think I could have done that much better. <laughs> like, I think, I think I could have done that turn, like, you know, more optimally. It's um, like the UPF games, we have a takesy backsy ticket that we can use yeah. only one. <laughs> yeah, this this just like how I function. Like I uh, I always think about that kind of stuff. Like even after I've done the turn, mm-hmm. I'll usually think about it and realize it like seconds after I do it, and I'm like, wait a minute, pretty sure I could have done something better. But uh, you know, yeah, yeah. That's uh, just for a quick peek behind the curtain. That's actually what we do on our gauntlet series pretty frequently is um, we have like at the beginning of the, at the beginning of a turn, we'll like pause for a second and then it's like, OK, I need to tank about this. I need to like just think about how my turn is going to go. And uh, just to make for really good, uh, at least as good television as we can, sometimes we'll actually like crowdsource it to the opponent and be like, OK, this is what I have. This is what I'm trying to do. And we'll just be completely open about it because you know, like it's not like we're actually playing for prizes or anything. Yeah, and it it is valuable to sort of talk through it, especially when you're first starting to get the hang of like a deck or you know a specific card that you're now playing, how it fits in, um, and it, it allows you to then have a little bit more insight to the opponent's deck as well to have, you know, uh, against certain matchups, you're trying to think of, okay, well, the way that they played, the way that they're playing right now, do I think that it's, like, possible for them to have a defense reaction to blow me out? Or, you know, should I go all out here because it's likely that they'll have X, Y, and Z? Um, Yeah, having a play partner that is willing to, you know, just chat through it and be like, this is just objectively what can be done here um, is phenomenal and only helps to to grow that with regards to competitive play um you can you can sort of explore those avenues a lot easier now because of the fact you can access online um discords that are dedicated to testing decks oh yeah so i think it is a lot easier to get into that sort of play pattern now with you know discords and stuff and groups of people that are dedicated to playing it online so you don't necessarily need a in the flesh and blood testing partner anymore um so yeah i think that's yeah i think that's a lot better agreed um all right next question let me try to find, let me try to find it uh there were there are a lot of questions thank you by the way to everyone who sent in questions these are absolutely fantastic questions um, yeah there's lots of really really great questions that uh provide a lot of room to think yeah and this one is a little less thinky because it's about brute and brute like smash no think all smash um so this is by the best ryan ever 30 plus years uh at the best ryan um ever and it says uh will there ever be a brute that doesn't care about the number six mostly joking but with the existing brute card pool i wonder if a new brute that doesn't care about six 
uh, would need a good amount of new cards printed alongside them. So I actually have a little bit of insight into this. Um, if you read the article where James White first uh, introduced the, the talent system, he actually used Brute as an example. So he used Brute as an example of, uh, specifically Le Levia, of a Shadow Brute. So incorporating elements of the Shadow mechanic and incorporating elements of the Brute core class mechanic. Um, and so unfortunately for this question, uh, I think the answer is no, because uh, he outlined that um, six power is one of the core brute mechanics. Like brutes care about uh, strength, and six is like their break break point. Um, yeah. So it's just a, something inherent to the brute class. Now, will that always be the case? I mean, maybe not. Like there might be a brute that cares about five or something. Like just th that's like a little bit off. Maybe they're like only care about like really strong attacks, like eight. But um, that's just kind of like a core part of the the brute class mm -hmm. so that's that's what i have to say about that if you guys have anything to add to that that one i think it yeah. makes sense to, for them I, just to be caring about strong attacks <laughs> yeah and like six just kind of makes sense from how breakpoints work in flesh and blood um yeah. where that's like the you know that's where you're blocking with two cards or your opponent is blocking with two cards uh in order to prevent stuff so six does make sense i could see there being a brute that doesn't care necessarily about the attack value somehow um and focus more on you know they do a lot of draw and discard stuff um maybe there's because there's um what's that one very small attack that is uh draw discard go again um oh there's a couple of this from root now it's it's from crew it like it costs one i think the blue attacks for two and it has go again like just inherently um i can see it in my mind but... think later i think it's called yes yeah. Yeah. yeah um so there's something like that where you know that's uh i only think of the blue one because uh it's like used as resource early and then sometimes if you need to trigger um uh intimidate later in the game then you can get it in your second cycle but i don't know maybe there's some sort of a, a graveyard strategy in the in the works for brute that isn't levia um where you know you're working off of the amount of cards in your graveyard, or you can bring cards back from your graveyard after cycling through some stuff. Um, yeah, or like something, I could like, you know, something like the the total power of cards in your graveyard does something. Yeah, like, I think there is design space there. I don't know that it's necessarily design space that I think they absolutely need to explore, because I think the six matters thing is, like, fine, and there's enough stuff. Yeah. Um, there's enough support in it already to make it not a huge deal mm -hmm. um but yeah i i could potentially see it in the future yeah all right cool next question this one's by fabled academy at fabled academy i actually got to meet them at the pro tour mm -hmm. very very nice folks um and i was you know completely exhausted every time i got to meet them but they were very nice <laughs> um this is a very simple question we've talked about it a little bit already but i guess we can touch upon it specifically here it says um, how to get into the game as easily as possible. So what, what's the best, the easiest way to get into Flesh and Blood? Um, uh, what, what do you guys think? I would say probably like, probably commoner at this point. Oh yeah, um, that's good. good. That's the good fact idea. that there's now, there's now like official um, support for it, or at least there's now official um, like articles on their website detailing what it is. 
Um, I think from a card availability standpoint, and uh, already I thought that, like, I felt that Blitz was a really, really easy way to get people into the game, because games are nice and quick. Two of each card, like, it, uh, it allows you to get more reps in, instead of being stuck into a game where, you know, at 40 life, where either you get into a point where neither player really knows how to navigate the rest of the game, um, you've run out of resources or something, or... Um, you know, it ends up just being a stomp on one side and it ends up being a little bit longer than Blitz games when they're a stomp on one side because instead of, you know, a two-turn game or whatever, it can be a six-turn game in CC or something similar. Um, so I already thought that Blitz was fine uh, and now I think with the official support for Commoner, it's that much easier. Yeah. Um, and everybody's kind of on the same the same level. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to add on to that a little bit. Um, I think if you are brand new, if you're listening to this, you're brand new, you have not picked up a Flesh and Blood product at all, you don't know where to start, um, I think you have two really good options, um, if you have a local game store. So this is assuming you have a local game store that carries Flesh and Blood. Go to your local game store and ask for the free Iro welcome decks. That's the mm -hmm. best way to do Just ask for two and learn to play with a friend. Um, barring that, uh, get... Whatever the most recent uh, Blitz uh, starter decks are, those are like twelve dollars, and you know buy a couple of them and learn to play with your friend. And then uh, extrapolating from that and adding on to what Bill was saying, those Blitz decks are usually like mostly commons anyway. And if you can just convert that into just a straight up commoner deck, um, you can probably go pretty far from there. Um, it's probably pretty easy to you know transition your uh, let's just use a Phi ninja commoner or a blitz deck into a commoner deck picking up a couple you know key ninja cards um so I, mm -hmm. I think i think that's a really good way to go buy your 12 dollar blitz deck learn to play with a friend and then um, you can just transition into commoner from there and play like with fully tuned commoner decks so you're not playing with just kind of like you know the, the the starter deck experience though that's the path that i would take if you're brand new and you have a local game store if you don't have a local game store i would still recommend buying the the 12 dollar blitz decks um, but you also have some other community options like uh, decks and drafts. Uh, Joey has these fantastic, like custom-made decks, um, and uh, that that could be another option that you go for as well. But uh, that, that's kind of where I, I would start. Yeah, just you know, all just just start with the, the you know the community you know content and reaching out to people and asking where where can I start with this because we're all very very open. We're yeah. all happy to help with stuff, and I think that's another mm. another great thing about. Um, about the community, they're all, uh, everyone's happy to help. So by all means, jump into this game. If you're listening to this podcast now in the future, ask us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I'm happy to chat with anybody who is interested in playing the game. Uh, yeah, because the the amount of people that have just messaged me about like just being excited about the game, like it's it's just cool every time. It's uh, you get to experience it all over again. Um, mm -hmm. Being like just so genuinely excited about a card when you come across it, and you're like, "Oh my god, this is so cool!" And then I can respond and be like, "Yeah, I know, right? Isn't it crazy?" <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. It makes me feel young. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Absolutely yeah. love it. All right. Next question. This is going to be. It could be a little bit of a longer answer. I'm going to try to make it quick on my part. Uh, because I do want to get through all the questions, and we still have like a good, you know, good chunk left. Um, this is from Rich uh, Gapinski at Polish Sports, and it says uh, your beginnings into gaming, top three favorite TCGs of all time, 
Magic and Flesh and Blood uh, excluded. Uh, and top three favorite other games, board games, computer, or whatever. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just rapid fire this one, like without going oh, yeah. too, too much into it. So uh, I've been playing uh, card games for my whole life since like 1995. I started with Magic. So that's like the absolute beginning. If you want to get games in general, I played the NES, Super Mario Brothers NES, like mm. when I was a kid. So just been playing games forever. Top three favorite TCGs of all time with Flesh and Blood and Magic out. Uh... Dragoborn, it's a Bushiro dice-based game. It's awesome, and it no longer exi- exists. Uh, Wii Cross, very, very uh, anime weeb game, but it's actually fantastic. And then the third one, ooh, this is tough. Uh, it's it's got to be, let's just say, Middle Earth TCG from the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And then uh, top three other games, that's also difficult. Uh Probably one of the Souls games. I'm a huge Souls games fan. Uh, recently, absolutely loved um, Elden Ring. But if I want to be a hipster, I can say Bloodborne or something. Um, so one, one of those. And then... Oh, man. I'm not sure about the other ones. I'll think about the other ones if one of you guys want to go off on this one. This uh, this is, like... I'm kind of in the same spot as Cal. This is a, this is a tough one. Um, yeah. For beginnings into gaming, the earliest memories I have are playing um like the n64 um like playing ocarina of time and star fox 64 also um tony hawk's pro skater uh donkey kong 64 like (laughs) i'm just rolling through all of these uh, n64 games but yeah this like that's how i i started um then for top top three favorite tcgs of all time uh, i haven't actually played that many tcgs if i'm being completely honest like i the, the the biggest one I guess the the first one that I ever got like super actually into was Yu-Gi-Oh. Okay. Um, played that for a few years um, throughout like throughout like high school and stuff, and that was always fun. Uh, that was before like Xyz Monsters came out. Uh, I think the the last time that I actually like super really played uh, Yu-Gi-Oh was just about the end of the Synchro Monsters, um, which I really enjoyed that. Um, then like I collected Pokemon cards, and I think that's just about as close uh, outside of Flesh and Blood and, and Magic. Um, but for top three favorite other games, uh, that's a really really yeah, tough one. It's so hard. Um, um, I thought of, I would. Oh, go oh ahead, yeah, go ahead. ahead. I was no, gonna say you you you're already answering. <laughs> I, I I thought of one more. I think I could put it in there. Arkham Horror Living Card Game. Absolutely love yeah. that game. I think it's the best co-op you know, tabletop game on the market. I absolutely love it. It's one of the games that I play with my partner mm-hmm. and we play, we've played through almost all the campaigns. I literally own everything for that game. Uh, so Arkham Horror is probably up there. Um, I don't know about a third one yet. I'll keep thinking. <laughs> there, there's so many video games, man. I, I played so many video games in my life that it, it's hard to, you know, pin it down to just a couple. Um, no. It's like kind of impossible. Quite- this question could be an entire episode, couldn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, I, probably. <laughs> I play everything from like, I mean, like I love Persona Five, but is it in my top three? Maybe. Like, there's just so many great video games that I played, ranging from fighting games to JRPGs to action games to some shooters. I'm not usually into shooters, but I can probably think of a couple that would yeah. fit the list, like Time Splitters, Time Splitters Two on like yeah. the GameCube. I mean, there's so much I could say. Um, I yeah. played a ton of Neverwinter Nights. I've yeah. probably spent the most playing World of Warcraft because I just played that a crap load. Um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna lump all what I just said. That that's gonna be my third my third answer. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think like I think I have a solid two, and then the okay. third one is kind of a an uh, up in the air sort of thing. Uh, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Oh, good one. Is my favorite Legend of Zelda game in the in the franchise. Period. Um, it has always been my favorite one, and will always be my favorite one. <laughs> I, um, I love that answer. That game stressed me out as a kid. Like, oh, it's so weird. But it, I, oh, I the love time it. limit really stressed me out. I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I appreciate it more as an adult now. But yeah. Yeah. Now that you sort of you have an idea of how to manage your time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so Majora's Mask for sure. Uh, these are also in no particular order. Um, Metroid Fusion, oh, yeah. um, yeah. uh, for the, for the Game Boy Advance, um, easily my favorite Metroid game. Um, I put so many, so many hours into that game. I just love its aesthetics, everything. And I love the Metroid franchise mostly because of how much I love Metroid Fusion specifically. Oh. Is, is Fusion the one where um, she's in like the blue suit? Like the, yes. Yeah, I, I think I had yeah, that one. She, yeah. she gets uh, she gets infected by an X parasite, and then they do a bunch of uh, surgery on her, and then they end up leaving her with a suit that's called the fusion suit, and it's her uh, DNA. Like the suit is part of her in like a like a molecular level, and it like bonds with her DNA and basically turns her into an X parasite. <laughs> that is some um, deep lore. <laughs> yeah, I I love this game, dude. I absolutely love it. Um, and then for the third it's like action rpgs in general um like i played i don't even know how many hours of diablo 2 oh Um, yeah i didn't even think about that it's like i i loved diablo 2 i loved diablo 3 as well um yo some of the secret sauce diablo 3 on like a playstation 4 or 5 or even maybe on xbox whatever couch Mm co-op is so much fun like, yes, yeah, it's like I, I've, any couch game is just awesome. I've I've seen that, um, and I'm kind of remiss that I have only played it on PC because I've seen like footage from it, and it really does look like, and it kind of operates as like a different game almost. Um, it it has a different feel to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, for like the couch co-op and just controller based everything, like it looks really cool, and I'm I'm really interested in it, but. Uh, I was also like super into Path of Exile for oh, yeah. a long time and sort of fell off of it because of some of the the new patches and stuff that they were they were making and like buffs and nerfs and stuff. But yeah, I have like I have twelve hundred hours in Path of Exile. <laughs> um and I only started playing it like a year ago, maybe a year and a half nice. ago. Nice. Um you don't want to see how but, many how many uh months I have in I think it's actually probably measured in years in, in warcraft i mean uh world of warcraft yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, but uh yeah so like various action rpgs as they've shown up would be my my third answer but as yeah it is now your time please i'm super interested to know yeah regale us i think i think everything has been mentioned already but yeah i think the um the sort of isometric rpgs like Baldur's gate neverwinter nights um divinity original sin Mm -hmm. 2 divinity good stuff that's a good one yeah those games are the ones i really really like the ones with loads of story loads of dialogue options where you can just go either you know one way or the other like knights of the old republic the star wars oh yeah that's a good one when you could go light or dark side you know it's just the the, those sort of choices are what i love in um in in games i think that's inherent as to why i like flesh and blood because you choose a hero 
you know, and you can do whatever you want with that hero. Um, and I'm a massive fan of archetypes as well and RPGs. Yeah. So yeah, very much like the reasons the reasons you guys stated. But yeah, the isometric ones are my favourites. Um, uh, TCGs, yeah, I've, all, I've always been into magic. Obviously, we're not we're not talking about that. But um, one of the ones that I've started playing recently is Final Fantasy because I'm a hmm. massive Final, Final mm-hmm. Fantasy fan. And the mechanics are sort of similar, where you discard a card to gain resources. So it's similar in a way where you um, all of your cards you don't get mana screw like magic. You get mana screwed. Whereas in this in Final Fantasy, you don't get mana screwed. Similar to Flesh and Blood, where your cards can be pitched. So it's, it's quite similar in that way. Um, Played Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh a lot. Me and Kel actually played a Pokemon Gym Leader format. Yeah, recently. It was pretty fun. <laughs> which was uh, which was quite fun, even though my bug deck was garbage. Um, yeah. Maybe that pincer was getting so much value. Yeah, you, that pincer uh, did get a lot of value. I played a like a psychic ghost type deck uh, that yeah. ended up being uh, maybe a little too strong. It was pretty good. Spreading damage everywhere, wasn't it? Damage yeah. counters. Yep. Um, and yeah, I'm a massive fan of board games as well, like the massive, epic, sprawling dungeon crawl board games, uh, like Gloomhaven. Ah, is yeah, yeah. A, is a fantastic one if you've got the right play group to play it with. Um, but yeah, like Descent, Journeys in the Dark, the classic ones. Um, but yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah. With me, it's all epic. It needs to be massive epic. Massive <laughs> time, as much time synced sink, into it as possible. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm like... I, I can enjoy the extremes. I love like the massive, you know, it takes like an hour to set up all the crap. But also, yeah. I like Sushi Go, where I can just sit True. down with like my parents and be like, you guys want to play Sushi yeah. Go? Yeah. There we go. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, yeah. let's see. This is a very interesting question. I'm not sure how to answer this one. This is by Tom of Harvest at Doobling Season. Um, <laughs> imagine you get the God. master key to Legend Story Studios and change anything you like, but can only change one thing, what would it be? I I know what my answer is, but they've kind of fixed it already. My main concern, my main detraction from Flesh and Blood as a game, uh, and as I said, they did kind of fix this already, was uh, they had the first edition set and then the unlimited mm. edition set mm-hmm. spaced so far apart from each other. Mm-hmm. And... I understand why they didn't want the sales of one to cannibalize the other, but with unlimited being a limited print run or with, sorry, with first edition being an unlimited print run anyway, and unlimited being, you know, it doesn't have the cold foils and whatever. Like it made sense to have those two as, you know, this is the one for collectors. This is the one for people who just want the cards to play. I don't know why they didn't release them simultaneously just so you had people you know, people who wanted to play in tournaments, in big tournaments, to uh, play the optimal version of their deck, they would have to shell out money for the cold foil version of the legendaries that they wanted yeah. to play instead yeah. of having access to the rainbow foil versions a little bit easier. Um, and that always just sort of stuck with me in a negative way. Um, they they did fix it by making it so that there's only one, uh, like if I remember correctly, the release said that they were going to do one set with cold foils and rainbow foil versions of of cards of legendaries um like that was what they were doing going forward they're not doing unlimited anymore yep um so it like it does fix it but i think that having a separate unlimited set was still relatively beneficial i mean there's an argument to be made either way um but 
that was the change that I would have made. In fact, I would probably say that's the change I would still make, have there be a first edition and an unlimited edition, and maybe have the first edition operate more like collector's boosters in Magic, not exactly one-to-one, because -one, I don't really like that um, that setup as it is, as like they've actually implemented it. But just having it, you know, maybe it's pared down a little bit for the first edition where it doesn't have every single card in it that's not actually built for draft. They're priced maybe a little bit more premium, but they do, they do then have the collectible versions of these cards. Um, and then also have the unlimited set, which is, you know, the more accessible version. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and for sure. Made for draft, etc. So that would probably be my change that I would do. Um, mine that's similar mine, mine comes down to distribution and i don't know how much of a you know lss has a hand in this i mean i'm sure they have they're able to change it to some degree but i would like to get to a point where any lgs that supports flesh and blood can order whatever number of product they want and then get that that's what i want it seems simple but it's mm -hmm. not the case these days um even with like uprising i've heard specifically in canada uh, some stores are getting cut pretty hard on allocation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would love for them to just get what they want. And so they can, you know, get the product for the, their player base. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's probably one of the biggest problems that Flesh and Blood has right now. Um, and I think a lot, of, um, a lot of the current problems and stuff stem from distribution issues. Maybe some stores getting favored over other stores and... A lot of messy stuff here that I, I don't personally know a lot about. Um, I don't know a lot of the intricacies, but I do know the end result. And um, I would like the end result to be, if a store wants X number of boxes and they think they can sell it, they should be able to get X number of boxes. Yeah. So that, that's that's yeah. what I would like. Yeah, and I've I got, I, the, 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 this is something that's hit me fairly recently is because the affiliates that I have in the UK are a online store only, and mm -hmm. they... They have now been, you know, there, there was there was legislation in place with with some sort of EU. I don't know the, the the details, but basically the UK online retailers could still get boxes, even though LSS said that only bricks and mortar stores could mm, really get mm -hmm. the sealed product. But there was a sort of a, a, a loophole in the UK where you could where they could still get it. But now that is not the case. So the, so my affiliate and the people that uh, I work with um, can no longer get flesh and blood products at all they're not allowed to have them anymore um and for people that don't have a local game store or people that don't have access to getting boxes um from from a local game store if they don't have access to that they can they now can't really get it if the, if they if the online re the online retailers are being cut out completely so i think yeah i think that's sort of sort of onto your point where if, if any store wants to support flesh and blood in any way whether that's just selling it or you know hosting tournaments or doing the armory events and what have you i think they should be able to get it if they want to have it i think that's i think that's i think that's paramount mm -hmm. especially for the online communities that i've built cuz i don't have i don't have a game store in my area and i've built my community based on the online stuff yeah um so yeah i think that goes on to what you were saying there is if a store wants to get it no matter what sort of store they are they should be able to get it yeah I mean, I can relate to that a little bit when I was growing up. I mean, a couple of places I lived didn't have LGSs, so you, I was just kind of like, you know, out of luck, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> yeah, cool. So let's jump on to the next one. So this one is uh, pretty close. 
to what we talked about before. In fact, I'm gonna I'm just gonna shout out the 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 user. It was uh, David Apodaca at uh, Ap- Apodagi seventy four. He just asks about Ranger. We've talked a lot about Ranger, so we're gonna yeah, we're gonna yeah. move on. But just shout out shout out to David and you know uh, yeah. Thank you for asking the question, question anyway. Yeah. yeah. But the next one is is also kind of something we talked about, but I think we can extrapolate a little bit more on it. Um, this is by a user whose name I can't properly pronounce. It's like Chewik at Chewy K, C-H-U-I. Um, how to help grow your local flesh and blood community. Uh, like if there are no players, just a few or um, a healthy play group. Uh, I'm at the first stage, but would but have been trying to get my local community to grow and wanted to know stories from other people. So we've talked about this a little bit, but any just like other tips that you guys have on just helping to grow a smaller community, not, not from like zero, but like once you got a, once you get a couple um, and growing from there. I think you, I think you had some good points, Bill, about being diverse in what, in what you're doing. I think that's good. Yeah. uh, Making sure that you're not like, that's, that's sort of a stage that helps a lot. Once you actually do have a bit more of an established um, play group of people. Um, but what like just to get started something that i i did actually i put together um just like really budget starter decks um for every class that i could think of it wasn't every like it wasn't every single class but i think it was like 10 maybe 8 or 10 decks that i put together just from bulk that i already had um doesn't need to be at that much of a scale but uh i then sort of donated them to a local game store uh, and was like, hey, if people come in here and they want to play uh, Flesh and Blood, there are these decks that are like put together. They're basically all at the same level. Um, like some of them were for uh, heroes that didn't have the Blitz decks at least uh, readily available, the pre-constructed ones. Um, so it's like if they're interested, they can they can play with that. Um, so something that I would do if you're really dead set on um, on getting flesh and blood into being a thing. It does require a little bit of legwork, but honestly, if you bought, you know, a box or two of a set and just put together basically commoner versions like blitz decks um, for the heroes that are in that set and you know, you you make yourself uh, acclimated and aware of how to play the decks and how they function, then you can just start with your friends um, and say, hey, like there's this game that I really like. You should try it out. Here are the decks. They don't even have to do anything. You just then sit down and you explain how to play the game with them. Um, and if they like that, then, you know, you can start doing more and more uh, in terms of like solid events and stuff. But I would say if you're trying to build something from the ground up, like starting with kitchen table play is step one like the absolute foundation for starting this up because then once people really get into it and they start buying product for themselves or they're looking into how to build decks and they're looking at strategy and stuff then you can sort of go to you know your lgs if they don't already support flesh and blood you can like you can pitch that to an lgs they do follow like the the customer is always right sort of thing yeah and uh you can talk to them and be like, hey, would you mind either carrying product or starting up events or just having like a free play night that aside where, you know, you can invite people for this and have it be like sit and go pods where people can just hang out and play if they want to. Um, but you something that I have seen is you do have to have that basis of there is interest already for an LGS owner to consider it. Yeah. Um, so having those decks to play 
as I said, you do have to do the legwork yourself a little bit in getting the decks together and sort of presenting it to people. But honestly, like this is completely serious. Um, I brought pre uh, precon blitz decks to uh, Jan's, like Jan from the Spike Feeders, mm -hmm. uh, to his bachelor party. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hey, does anybody want to learn how to play Flesh and Blood? That's awesome. And uh, yeah, Dude. one of the guys there, his, his name was Steve. He really liked the Katsu deck. And I was like, you know what, man? You can have it. Yeah. And there you go. Like, <laughs> Yeah, man. Like, I brought, uh, I brought some like little like Blitz decks to one of the professor's like game nights. And I taught uh, one of the guys there how to play. Actually, if you've watched... Uh, the professor's most recent gameplay video. Um, I think it's called Shuffle Up and Play. I don't Shuffle remember. Up and Play? Um, uh, what's, his, what's his name? Um, George. George from that. Ah, uh, taught him how to play Flesh and Blood at a Commander Night. So everyone else is playing Commander. German Gary Oak. Yep. German <laughs> Gary Oak. Um, taught him how to play Flesh and Blood um, while everyone else is playing Commander. So, yes, just bring decks. I think that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. um, like... Honestly, a good suggestion too. I've opened up a couple boxes of it. History Pack 1, if you can somehow get your hands on them, if you just open up two boxes, you can build like an okay commoner-ish blitz deck out of every, you know, all eight classes. Um, mm -hmm. There's enough staples in there to do that. And you'll be rocking like some pretty decent cards too. So, yeah. And yeah. they look really nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I unironically, like I really like the white border. <laughs> I think it looks I like cool. cool. And yeah. I've also had pretty good luck. I just opened up my second box today, and I'm two for two on E-Strikes from, from History Ooh. Packs. E-Strike and uh, uh, Tome of Fiendel, I got one of one of each in both of them. And in the second box, I got a Legendary. Just the Brave Forge Bracers, but still. Uh, my luck is nice. good with those. <laughs> um, all right, next question. Um, this is more of a nuts and bolts mechanic-y question, but I think we can talk about this for a little bit. Uh, boardroom Gamer at Boardroom Gamer asks, I would love to see someone talk about to block or not to block, when to do it and how to and how to know how much to block. I've been searching for that and can't find a resource, pun intended. And um, I can talk about this just a little bit, just in baseline. Um, when I'm playing, I just think about my strategy. And so if I'm playing like, saying I'm, say I'm playing uh, Aggro Briar, right? That's a pretty popular, or at least it was a pretty popular one. Um, that strategy doesn't really want to block as much uh, because you want to push back with as much damage as you can. Now, there are some situations where you do want to block if there's like some punishing on hit effects. But uh, basically what, what I do when I'm playing is I like to plan out my turn on my opponent's turn. Um, and so I need to think, okay, can I still execute my strategy if I block with X cards or equipment, right? Um, and that that's kind of like how it boils down um, at the end of the day. You just kind of need to know what your deck wants to do and you need to weigh, like, can you still accomplish what you're trying to do uh, with the cards in your hand? Um, so that's my general, general tips. If you guys have any tips in regards to blocking versus not blocking. Uh, well, I do, I do have some thoughts, but I did also just talk a bunch about, uh, <laughs> about local meta growth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I'll defer to you first if you have any, any thoughts. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's a numbers game really, isn't it? So if you're getting hit for 10, you then have to look at your hand, you know, you have to, you have to think, right, if I block this, can I then do more damage back? If you're not, if you're not blocking at all, 
can you do more damage back than what you've just received? So it's just about adding up numbers and, you know, also on-hit effects of what you might do or added value of what you might get from playing cards. You just have to add up all of these sums and what they might equate to, you know, as a numerical value and then figure out whether it's worth blocking or not. So, yeah, there's a lot of equations involved, but if you can effectively get more value out of the damage that you've taken from your crackback, that's when it's, you know, worth considering whether to block or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there, I mean, there's something to be I, said for tempo as well, uh, especially yeah. if you're in aggro mm-hmm. deck, because uh, cards in hand equate to defense and also equate to offense in Flesh and Blood. So, yeah. I mean, if you are an offensive deck and you're blocking a lot, uh, you might not be taking very much damage, but you're also not executing your game, game plan and you're not going to have that tempo to actually push the damage that you need to do to, to win the game. Um, exactly. And if you can apply the professor... Uh, presser pressure. I can I can speak properly. <laughs> if you can apply, you could apply the professor. Yeah, if you can apply the professor, <laughs> um, you can force your opponent to to block with the cards that they have, so they'll have a less uh, impactful turn. So it's kind of a mm-hmm. a give and take. Like I said, just kind of knowing your role in the matchup and in the game and. Um, if your opponent can successfully get you off of your role, then they're doing a great job of um, executing their their game plan. But uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 will, I will pass it on to Bill. Yeah, it's it's sort of a like my my thoughts are kind of a mix of what both of you guys have said so far because um, that's one of the things that really starts to click once you get reps in when you're playing because uh, one of the things when uh, when I was first starting to play. I had a I had a hell of a time trying to figure out like what the flow of a turn was supposed to be like for a given deck. Where it, it sounds super weird, but each individual deck, you have like certain beats that you're trying to hit, like a tempo outside of the card game aspect where it's like, okay, we're doing this, then this, then this. And like you you start to be able to put together the turn like that. So when I started to parse flesh and blood turns like that, it made it a lot easier, like Kel said, to plan what I wanted to do on my turn with the cards I was given on my opponent's turn. And you have like your plan A, where if everything goes perfectly and they, you know, they have an off turn where I don't have to actually care about what they're doing, then I can keep all my stuff and this is the optimal rollout. Then... Once you start doing that and your opponent starts to present things where it's like, oh, well, I have to block that because it's a crush effect or something, then you can start saying, okay, which of these pieces that I have are the least valuable to my plan? Yeah. So how, how much of my plan A can I retain while also presenting a defense? And uh, you sort of go down the chain like that where, you know, it's, oh, I only have to block with one card. Oh, I have to block with two cards. I can block with my equipment here, that sort of thing. So it it's not quite as easy, especially with, you know, all their all the different game plans for the different heroes being so diverse and crazy. There's no one thing where it's like, oh, you should block this. You should always block in this situation because, you know, sometimes you have enough to uh, like, I think there was a game I was playing against Jan where I was playing Bravo and I came in with a crippling crush and he didn't block it because he was on Viscerai and he had like 20 rune chance and, um, and a Sonata arsenaled. So he was just like, yeah, I'll discard my cards and then play the Sonata for 15. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, exactly. He just won anyway. So it's like, you don't, there's never one case where it's always correct to block or it's always correct to not block. Um, 
it, it makes it a little bit difficult there. But as long as you're able to, like as said, sort of break down your options to a value where you can sort of place it onto, you know, this is the best plan. This is the second best plan. Then it starts to become a little bit easier to determine when is correct to block. Yeah. And I mean, there's um, some, there's some like sort of general rules in regards to like when to block with equipment. Like it's generally mm-hmm. better to save your equipment four times where you can get the most value out of it. Not just in terms of how much you're blocking with, but also in terms of like, you know, using it against dominate cards or powerful on hit effects or saving it for a turn where you can leverage your equipment to keep cards in your hand to have an explosive turn. Mm-hmm. There, there's some stuff like that too. Um, it's generally not a good idea to just kind of throw your equipment in front of whatever. Um, it's good to, you know, think that kind of stuff. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Your equipment blocks are very limited and also very valuable, yeah. um, but it can be really easy to see it as like, oh, I don't have to get rid of any cards here when it might just be optimal for you to get rid of some cards. Yeah. Um, especially like on the first turn where it just lets you basically get a rebuy by drawing at the end of the turn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless you're playing like, I don't know, blitz and you think you can like really go to town on your first turn. Like, uh, yeah. 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 It's mostly fine to, uh, basically just mulligan a couple cards at least. <laughs> yep. Yep. For sure. Um, yeah. So this next one is eh, maybe a little bit we talked about too, but this is from Smithle at Smithle gaming. Apart from the best format ever made a commoner, what are your recommendations for budget-friendly decks slash heroes for people to try to get into uh, in other game modes? Personally, I see this question a lot. Um, so I do like Commoner. I don't know if it's the best format because it's not Ultimate Pit Fight, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've answered a lot of these questions. Do either of you guys want to take this one off or I can I can just keep rolling? Um, I don't have a lot to say about it because I do, as I've mentioned before, I think that commoner is a really great starting point now. Um, but the way that I got a lot of people into the game is just by playing blitz, which is kind of just commoner plus it's commoner with a little fancy hat on. Um, but, but yeah, like, I don't know. Blitz sort of has a lot of overlap with stuff, especially now that ultimate pit fight is officially a blitz format. Um, or a blitz constructed style format. Yeah. Um, so like blitz is probably really strong um, for that sort of thing. Ultimate pit fight may be a little bit stronger, but it requires more people Just because yeah. you can play with your more expensive cards and they don't necessarily have to be as cohesive. doesn't need to be like as tuned of a strategy to still have a good time. But uh, I would say in general, constructing a blitz style deck would be the best way to start. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, in terms of they ask for decks and heroes, budget-friendly, mm. I mean, I honestly think uh, Mechanologist, especially in Blitz, is very budget-friendly. Most of the mech cards are pretty cheap, even the Majestics. And mm-hmm. um, it's good, very, very good. I think Aggro uh, Boost Dash is one of the best decks in Blitz. And so yeah. if you just want like a really good, pretty easy-to-pilot deck in Blitz... Um, that's also pretty budget friendly. You can just go dash. You don't need to buy. In fact, you should not be running like Command and Conquers and Art of Wars and all these kind mm-hmm. of expensive generics. You just slam a bunch of commons and a couple majestic mech cards and go to town. I mean, if you really want to go all in, you can buy like a Teclo Foundry Heart that's like not super expensive. You don't even need a tunic. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I would recommend uh, dash as a very good, easy entry point. Um, I would not recommend. Despite what you saw at the Pro Tour, 
Kano. Kano is one of the hardest hardest mm-hmm. heroes to play. Um, so I would not recommend uh, Kano as like a starting starting hero. But uh, yeah, I mean Dash, Ira. Um, the warriors are pretty mm-hmm. great to learn with. I think both Dorinthia and Kasai, and Bolton's a little more complicated. But Dorinthia and Kasai are um, specifically Dorinthia was has always been my go to to teach people how to play because it'll uh, really make you learn the reaction step, um, which I think is very yeah. important. It's when I taught people how to play, I always bring a Dorinthia deck um, because I'm like, you know, reactions are very important and it's kind of one of the more uh, rules-intensive parts of the game. And I'm like, yeah. it's imperative that you know this. But yeah, those are my kind of general suggestions on like budget-friendly decks and heroes. Um, stay away from... Well, I mean, I guess... Starvo is kind of being rotated out anyway, so you don't yeah. have to really worry about that. But just regular Bravo, I think, would be great to learn. I think he's pretty easy to play, and he's pretty strong, and the, the cards aren't super expensive, so regular Bravo is pretty good, too, especially, like, in Blitz. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I definitely lost that part of the question just from when I was parsing it. Uh, no, it's okay. <laughs> audio, audio style, but uh, now that you mention it, uh, honestly, if, you're, if we're talking about, like, a Blitz deck, like, Blitz chain can be built really oh, yeah. cheaply, yeah, for sure, um, and is pretty good. And I, the I would also second Ira specifically. Ira can be yeah. unbelievably cheap uh, yeah. and very, very powerful. Yeah, the the only thing with Ira is like you're, you're probably gonna want to get a, a mask, but hopefully you yeah. can get a cheap like white border mask of momentum or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like you can still play it pretty reasonably without it yeah um, sure. it, it does it it pushes it into a, a different tier once you actually do yeah, get the mask the mask but, is gross um just to get started though like the amount of pressure that she has just from a straight up attacks per turn perspective and the amount of damage that she can consistently throw at you um is like just fine like just super solid <laughs> yeah and I, I wouldn't say that she's particularly hard to play either like no no I think it's a, the, yeah, a each turn, turn is the same. Yeah, it's, <laughs> super it's, linear. It's kind of the same as like boost dash, right? You're just like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna boost a bunch, and then maybe sometimes I'll shoot you with my pistol, but uh, I'm just gonna <laughs> th- throw a bunch of boosty, big big boosties. At yeah. you. I think obviously um, Smithle here as well is obviously referring to the commoner format as well, and I think it's um, Ira is the only one that has a common specialization as well, isn't she? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ira, Ira is one of the best decks in Commoner, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely a powerhouse. Um, and also, I think Bravo, once again, Bravo is very, very good in, in Commoner because you can just dominate massive attacks every single turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and Commoner doesn't have a, a whole lot of defense reactions that are great. Like, you, you have, like, your, you know, your standard ones, unmovables and zero for fours, but, um, yeah, Bravo, I think Bravo's a... Good place to start. Here we have Greenshot X saying, I am aware Uprising is about to come out and the meta will change, but how do you guys personally feel about the current state of the game? Do you love it and would gladly keep playing it at, as is for a longer period of time, or what could some changes be that you would like to see? So I'll go ahead and answer this one real quick. Um, mm-hmm. I actually don't think the meta is too bad. I mean, as, as much as people like rag on Starvo, like, it's fairly diverse, and we, we saw that at the Pro Tour. I mean, we, we obviously saw a ton of Starvos, but we saw a, a, a very a diverse meta. Everything from, like, we got Levia on uh, Feature Match. We saw Yuki Lee Bender absolutely crush with, um, uh, with Lexi. We saw those Kanos break out. 
like, when I think about other card games and their metas, there's usually only, like, a couple top-tier decks in, like, standard formats. And um, Flesh and Blood has more than that. Like, a mm-hmm. good consensus was, like, Prior to the recent uh, band and suspensions, uh, there were like three to four decks that I think people were considering like top tier decks, um, and then there's some other like you know A tier decks that were that were decent too. So honestly, in the grand scheme of things for TCGs, um, I don't think the meta was that bad. However, that being said, Starbo is kind of unfun to play against, and mm-hmm. um, that definitely has a that definitely has a uh, you know a, a very real downside. Um, and, you know, he also kind of pushed out some classes that could have, you know, potentially been there. Um, maybe some of the, you know, more aggro-centric classes like Katsu or, or even Dash. Um, so I don't think it's the worst thing ever. Also, I don't think it's my favorite format of all time. So mm. I, I'm glad for the shakeups. Um, this is kind of like a, this is kind of like a, a lame answer, just saying being in the middle. But, I mean, that, that's kind of how I feel. Like, I don't think it's the worst but uh, I, I think it could get better, and I'm, I'm glad that Starbo is going to be rotating out, and uh, hopefully we'll see a decent, um, a decent mix of archetypes here going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's always, there's always, always a, there's always a nice story to tell, isn't, isn't there? Obviously, Chain was a boogeyman for a while. Briar yeah. was obviously a boogeyman for a while. You know, if there's a, if there's a deck to beat, that's why the Pro Tour was so interesting because we saw Kano just come out of nowhere. And obviously convert really, really well. So I think the meta is in a good place when it can tell stories like that because people are actually thinking of how to attack the meta, like Tyler did with Chain with his Prism deck. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, these stories are, are good to tell. So I think in that regard, it's in a good place because yeah. we do have we do have like the callings and other uh, and other events for people to play more decks that they want to play rather than decks they should they should play. So I think in in that regard as well, there are events outside of the pro tour where people can play the decks they want so i think it is in a good place with regards to how they've got it set up yeah 100 percent. i mean like if you look at the top eight of the pro tour like there were well let me let me, let me kind of recount it we had two kanos three starvos a prism a briar and a chain right so that i mean that feels pretty diverse to me like there, there was a good smattering of heroes in the top eight even though like there was like 128 Starvos, only three of them made it into the to the top eight, which you know shows that there is room for um, you know innovation, like you said, especially in regards to like the Kanos. It's uh, it, it, something that I've sort of thought for a little bit. I think that right now the competitive scene for Flesh and Blood sort of almost has like a self-imposed meta, and that's like a weird sentence. So I'll explain it. I, like. We have all of these resources for people to theorycraft decks and to talk about, you know, tournament results and um, all of that. And I think something that is a little bit, uh, that I've seen at least, that's a little bit too easy to get into for these discussions is to sort of blinder down on this is the best deck, this is the most consistent thing, without taking into account how to beat that. And instead, tuning this one strategy until it's as best as it could possibly be. And uh, I think the people that will have like maybe the most success are the people who, who as we've sort of talked about before, metagame it a little bit. Yeah. 
Um, For sure. But the the discussion is so overpowering about, you know, Starvo is the best deck and it's super easy and here's all of this content about this deck specifically, then creates a situation where people will go to these big tournaments and they'll be like, oh, well, this is the best deck. I've read so much about it. I know it like the back of my hand, so I'll play this. Instead of, you know, taking it onto themselves and uh, and being like, oh, hey, well, because there's so much Starvo, people aren't going to be playing Arcane Barrier because they don't care. So maybe I'll play Chain so that I can get, you know, a little bit more consistent stuff in there. Maybe I'll play Kano so I can get some more consistent Arcane Barrier or Arcane damage in there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it it's not a new concept when it comes to card games, but I think calling the meta stale is sort of feeding into that self-imposed meta. Yeah. Um, and I think it's sort of up to the fact that there isn't a ton of other discourse. Like the, it's, it's a lot easier to go with the flow than say, I'm going to work on this deck. Like there are so many fewer, um, uh, uh, Mansants than there are anybody else right. where it's like, you know, I only play Levia. I love Levia. I have a bunch of success with it cause I know the deck, but, uh, you know, it's, it's easier to say, Oh, well, this is just objectively a really good deck. So I'll play that instead. And- I mean, you also have, like, the pro players who kind of have, like, insight into it, but they're, like, keeping it a secret, right? Because they want to come in, yeah. and they don't want anyone to know that they're they're going to be rocking Kano and Light and Fires, you know? Exactly, because um, then people would then be prepared for it. They'd exactly. bring an Arcane Barrier um, just to sort of work around that. But uh, there are very interesting decisions to be made, um, and I don't think that that... I don't think that what we're seeing right now is a stale meta. I think it's people just going with what the popular deck is, which there's nothing bad with that, but it also is sort of a disservice to flesh and blood to say, oh, well, this is boring because this is all people are doing. Yeah, I mean, like, Um, one thing, I mean, this happens in all card games. Uh, In fact, I think the funniest part about this is that it reminds me a lot of old World of Warcraft PvP, but um, at some level, like, I know a lot of folks want every hero to be viable, and that's mm. just not ever gonna happen like i don't want to ruin anyone's dreams here but like that's like impossible to balance to make every hero viable and it's something that people would complain a lot about like i said in old world of warcraft pvp just like it just it it can't happen uh there's always gonna be like a deck that you know stands out among the others um and it's gonna kind of trickle down from there so uh yeah uh i think that's one of flesh and blood's greatest Strengths and weaknesses is like how people can be uh, very attached to specific heroes and, and, and classes. Um, yeah. And if they're hero classes and doing well, then, you know, they, you know, it kind of sucks. But hey, I, I understand. I'm a ranger player, so I know how that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know how that is. But at the same time, you got to, you know, recognize it's a card game. These things are going to happen because that's just, exactly. you know, that's just the nature of the space. Yeah. The way they've they addressed it as well recently in regards to the fact that they've said that it's not all about competitive play. I think, you know, yeah. demonstrates that they do have plans for more sort of casual stuff going forward. So yeah, 100%. Good. And I, I fully believe that that's a space where flesh and blood can shine, like really shine. Um, I think that just in general, it's the the fact that the rate of play is so fast that's one of the the toughest things i i dealt with when i was playing commander a lot is uh and actually one of the reasons that our channel started doing competitive commander was because we would be playing these casual commander games and they were really fun but then you start having these games that last for like two and a half three four <laughs> hours Ugh. 
and everybody has lost interest and it's like that's not fun anymore like you you feel locked into this game so it's like well if i play more competitive decks then the games end up being a little bit faster and that was kind of my only reasoning behind it (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I mean like um like and with with flesh and blood and blitz and upf like the games are pretty quick and the turn structure is really fast so I just think it works really nicely. Yeah. <laughs> it lends itself. 100%. Not going to lie, uh, I don't really play Magic a, a whole lot these days, but I almost always put in some way to just win the game on the spot in my commander decks because I, I really don't want to play like a three-hour game. Like, I always exactly. put in... I don't always max maximize the tutors or whatever, but I always put in like a two or three card combo. I'm like, I need something to just to close this out to, to finish it off, you know? Yeah. You need a, you need a, a, a get-me-out button. Just yeah. an ejection. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hundred um, percent. So the next question is by uh, I don't know, some guy named like Jim Lapage, Lapage, something like that. Oh, he's at, a weirdo. At Jim TSF, I don't know, some, some random guy. No one, no one here knows who that guy is. But he asks, <laughs> "Hi, long time, uh, long time listener, first time caller, um, which is great for our pilot episode. Uh, would, would you like to come to Winnipeg to film a bunch of content?" And record a bunch of these podcasts in person. I'm going to toss this over to Az, who actually responded to this comment. <laughs> the, the answer is definitely yes. At some point next year, um, if we can organize it, then yeah, that is that is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what Az said, I would definitely be on board for that at some point. Um, yeah, both of you guys responded to it and said that it, there's something you're interested in. I don't know if I can just, I don't know if I can swing going to Winnipeg. It's just not <laughs> a place that I'm super comfortable. It's kind so, of far for you, yeah, right? But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially the studio from here. It's like a, like a eight minute walk or something. Like that's just too much for me. That That is seven <laughs> minutes too long. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, no, we would like we were talking about this before, um, like me and and Jim, uh, we were discussing, you know, the fact that we were starting up this podcast, and uh, I was like, yeah, there's just going to be a lot of opportunities to to chat with these guys, and he's like, yeah, no, if you guys, if if you want to have them out here and film in our studio and just hang out and do whatever, like we've done it for other people, so, um, yeah, it's something that the spike feeders as a whole, uh, we would be very interested in having you guys over here. So that's cool that you're you're into it. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, um, and then the the final question for this very long inaugural episode uh, <laughs> is by uh, Ligert at Ligert One. Uh, how to tackle the fab is too expensive argument that people not having a clue about the game like to use so much, other than with the counter argument, modern is expensive too, which is they're referring to Magic the Gathering, the modern format, which is pretty mm-hmm. expensive. Uh, because there's plenty of benefits in the flesh and blood model of expensive cards for the casual player, I feel are ignored. And I know mm-hmm. that uh, I think both you uh, you guys were talking about this a little bit earlier, right? Uh, talking about mm-hmm. um, you know it being you know quote too expensive. Uh, would either of you like to jump jump in on this this question? I, yeah, um, I have sort of taken it upon myself as like a personal mission to try to fight this argument as much as possible because while it is, you know, you see a lot of the people, especially um, in local metas that are really established. Like I was talking about before, if you only have blitz events, 
people are going to start, they're going to be like, oh, I really like this deck and it wins, so I'm going to put more money into it because that's just how hobbies work. You like something and you just start spending more money on it. Um, you can get to a point where your local meta is just built of decks where people are doing the optimal thing. They have all the most expensive cards for that deck and it just sort of like, it's almost like an echo chamber. It's hard to escape that. And then you look at the coverage for high-level events like the Pro Tour, and you see everybody's running Arcanite Skullcap and, and Tunic, and it can make you feel really um, like unwelcome. Like the, the barrier is just too high for you to, to justify it when you're looking at this deck and you're like, oh, this is a good deck, but it costs $600 because it has all the expensive equipment and stuff. Um, the thing that really allows me to not necessarily like rebuff that argument because it's, it's always going to be difficult. There's always going to be people that for one reason or another, that maybe they do think it's too expensive. Maybe they just don't like the game as a whole. So they use that as their excuse for not playing it. Um, which I have experienced people, um, that do that. And it's not it, like, it's not a good faith argument, which kind of hurts, but, um, but like, Commoner is, and I've said this before, it's a really good format, and Flesh and Blood, as just a game in general, is one of the only games that I've seen or experienced where the commons and rares are legitimately good cards. Oh, yeah. Like, like you look at Sink Below, you look at Fate for Scene, they're commons. They are, like, the lowest rarity card that you can get, and they are invaluable. They are so unbelievably strong. Um... And then there's cards like Snatch. There's cards like Plunder Run, which was so powerful that it was banned. There's like Seeds of Agony, which is a common that was banned because it's yep. so good. There's a like, lot of there's... common cards that were banned, actually. Yeah. And but and there's like there's Scar for a Scar, which is just a really good aggro card, and it's a common. Like there are powerful majestics, and legendaries do like they either enhance your game plan with something like uh, new horizons or you know they're just best in slot for that sort of thing like um like grasp of the arc knight or uh, carrion husk or something like that but uh, unless you're playing at the very very top level you can get away with bringing a commoner deck as long as it's like a well put together commoner deck you can bring a commoner deck to a blitz event and if you know oh, what yeah. you're doing you can probably like do really well um, yeah. yeah, it comes like, down to the pilot of the deck as well, doesn't it? How much experience, yeah. how much experience you've had playing it, and what your experience is like against the matchup that you're playing, as well. Yeah. Exactly, and I would also like to extend that to like a lot of majestics, like ninety plus percent of them are actually not that expensive too. Like no. mm -hmm. you can get them for like a couple bucks to maybe ten bucks for for most of them, and then. You know, the, the outliers are going to be like your uh, Enlightened Strikes and Command and Conquerors, of which you're not going to run in every deck anyway. And so yeah. you can have like a almost 100% tuned deck for like not not too much, like less than 100 mm. bucks, I would say, depending on uh, the class that you're playing. Um, oh, yeah. And so like, I agree. Um, I, it's just the notion that I, I think it might stem from a lot of people just coming in from outside the, the TCG community too. Um, where mm -hmm. they're just like, oh, th this looks really expensive. Because I do know that there's a good chunk of Flesh and Blood players who this is like the first card game. Like, this is the first TCG. Yep. And, yeah, I mean, like, it, card, like, TCGs are just kind of an expensive hobby in general. Um, and that, that's just kind of, uh, I hate to say it, like, just like this, but I mean, it, it just, it, it's kind of how it is. Like, yeah. and um, Flesh and Blood is, like, not any more expensive than any other 
like popular card game out there to be completely yeah. honest and, and oh go ahead I was just going to say, like, I, I have, as I, as I said, like, I don't want to make a straw man argument here at all, but I have personally seen discussions between people like on our discord and on Twitter and stuff where people just like they load up TCG player and they see that spring tunic is, you know, at one point it was like 200 bucks. And it's yeah. like, who would want to spend that on a single card? And the the argument there is like, yeah, it's an expensive card, but also it's a generic. So yeah. you you only need one copy of it ever. And it goes in every deck that you want to play it in. Yeah. And so you can kind of spread out the cost that way if you really want to justify it, but also you just don't need to buy it. Like it's like, it's a good card. Arcanite Skullcap is a good card because it gives you basically plus three health for free. Yeah. But I've been very vocal that Arcanite Skullcap is like kind of a bad card. It's, it's, it's just boring. That, it's really boring. Yeah. It's just that hats like just don't exist for some classes and that's the best option. So yeah. I mean like, and exactly what you said, you only need one copy of any given legendary. And also, mm-hmm. Flesh and Blood doesn't rotate. So yeah. you can just have that card and just have it forever. And, like, I mean, there's something to be said for, like, if you do find your favorite class, your favorite hero, your favorite deck, um, you could just have that deck. Like, this is not yeah. a game where you have to buy into every single set. I mean, even though I'm crazy and I buy, like, a crap load of every single set because uh, I want to have a playset of everything... Um, you don't have to. You can just be like like the brute players, like Mansant, like you know the Levia diehards, where you literally only just you have your Levia deck, and then maybe when a new set comes out, you just buy the singles for the brute stuff, and then ignore everything else. And so yeah. you have your upfront cost. Maybe if you want to buy everything all at once, maybe you don't even buy everything all at once. You can kind of like you know buy it you know piece piece meal. But you know you you don't have to have everything all the time. And once you have your deck. Yeah it's going to be very low cost to just maintain it and it will never rotate. So, yeah. yeah. It's, about, it's about what you want to get out of the game as well. If you want to get, you know, if you want to get into it competitively, then yeah, you do have to look at the cards that are obviously very, very good and expensive for a reason. But if you just mm-hmm. want to, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to think about what you want to get from the game, I think. And, you know, yeah. that's, that's it really. Yeah. I think especially like, like, as you, uh, like you said, it is about what you want to get out of the game. If you just want to play this as like a game where you invite people over, like you want to treat it like commander or something, you invite people yeah. over for a couple beers, just play some flesh and blood. Cause it is just objectively a fun game. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely zero reason that you or any of the people coming to these sorts of nights need to own a command and conquer. Yeah, like, no. I mean like, like flesh and blood can also be played sealed and draft too. Yeah. Like you just invite some friends over draft Welcome to Wraith, or you know whatever the newest set is, Uprising, Draft Uprising, and yeah, you can just do that too. Like, yeah, it's Draft basically is like really solid in this game too. Like, it's a lot for me. It's a lot easier to pick up than it was uh, when I played Magic. Uh, Magic so Draft, fun. I always felt like I was lost constantly. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's 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 a ton of fun. So I agree. Basically, yeah. what, what As said, it's kind of what you make out of it. And um, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to be the top tier competitive player, bring you know going to the Pro Tour and trying to push for it. Yeah, I mean, you're going to need to fork out the money to have the most optimal deck, um, but you don't need to start off like that at all. <laughs> like, you right. can just make your $100 deck and then buy, you know, whatever you need, trade whatever you need as you go. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Also, just as a, as a cap-off thing, if somebody really doesn't want to play Flesh and Blood and they have this preconceived notion and they you, you try to, you know, 
comfortably nudge them in the right direction by saying actually it's not that expensive and they still don't want to play it that's fine too like you don't have yeah. to play this game it's yeah. not mandatory <laughs> yeah not not everyone has to play everything like yeah <laughs> i mean i i play like currently i i like mainline and by that i mean i buy a crap load of every new set two games um and uh yeah just play play what you like there's a lot of options out there there's a lot of really good stuff so you don't have to play Flesh and Blood, even though it's, you know, my favorite game it doesn't have to be your favorite game. Yeah, it's a fantastic game. But if you don't want to play it, then that's fine. Uh, and if somebody that you know doesn't want to play it, that's fine, too. <laughs> yeah. But if I can convince you to give it a shot, then uh, I think I've I think I've done my job. If you could if you just go oh. pick up a Ira deck or some Blitz decks and you give it a shot and play it, um, that's that's my goal. Most people will take that and be like, this game's awesome. And then they will continue to play it. Um, yeah. I've actually had very few people who've actually played it be like, nah, it's not for me. Like, I can't think of a, a single, like, local person, like a, a real-life person, you know, outside of the internet who I've had the experience of, like, getting, like, playing the game with them. And it's always been like, oh, this is a ton of fun. And I'm like, yeah, it is a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's you're right. It's interactive, isn't it? So interactive. All your cards actually do different things you know every yeah. card is like a modal card um, yeah so yeah i, I, I can it, yeah, i can see anyone can have fun with it at any level really yeah i don't want to talk too much because we've already gone on for a couple hours but yeah. one of my favorite parts about the mechanic you know the mechanics of flesh and blood is that it's kind of the opposite of hearthstone so hearthstone is a game where you just play out your cards um, on your turn and your opponent can just literally AFK and do nothing. It doesn't matter what they do, right? They have no input on your turn. Um, yeah. Flesh and Blood's the opposite. Like, you have 100% input on both turns because you need to determine what you're going to be blocking with, what you're going to be, you know, saving for the next turn. Like, you always have that interaction, like as said. And that's what I love about Flesh and Blood. You're, there's never an off turn. You can never just kind of, like, pick up your phone and start, like, you know, playing Flappy Bird or whatever. Like, you just can't do it in Flesh and Blood. You have to kind of be paying attention all the time. And that's one of my favorite things about the game. It's it's super interactive like that. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for our almost three-hour pilot episode. Let me take a look at the time. Eh, you know, almost three hours. Typically, uh, we're going to have something called The Arsenal, where uh, one of us will talk about something that we're into outside of flesh and blood doesn't have to be game related just something that we're really passionate about but because we have this three-hour episode i think we will save that for the uh the next episode officially episode one if this is like the, the pilot um yeah but uh i, I want to say a huge thank you to um as and bill for joining me for this uh first episode and to all of the folks who stuck around these three hours and are still yeah. listening to us talk, uh, that is uh, crazy and very much appreciated. Yeah, yeah exactly. There was ask questions as well. Thank you for asking questions. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know how the structure is going to be going forward, but we're going to try and get maybe one or two community questions on each week, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, it's just great to have so much interaction with, with everybody as well. It's made for a really good icebreaker. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think so too. Um, yeah. I think general structure, at least this is the way I envision it, but things can change. 
is mm -hmm. that we'll have like a couple main topics and then some community questions and then like the arsenal step. I think that's a good that's a good uh, layout schematic. Please let us know what you think about that in the in the comments of the video or just message us directly. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, where can the viewers find uh, you, lovely gentlemen? Let's start with as. Cool, yeah, so uh, on Twitter, uh, Go Again Gaming AZ, and on YouTube, Go Again Gaming. Um, I'd appreciate you following me on uh, on YouTube. Still very, very small on there, um, but doing lots of little projects uh, with these guys as well, actually. Um, so, uh, so yeah, definitely keep an eye on that. But, um, but yeah, that's it, really. Yeah, let's get as to 1K. As to 1K. Let's, make let's it do it. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Monet let's yeah. get as so we can monetize his content. Let's do it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, lovely old job. Yeah. yeah, no, that would be that would be awesome. As puts in a ton of work, and uh, it's very obvious with every single video he puts out. So uh, let's get some let's get some people in the Go Again Gaming crew. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Team Go Again Gaming. Um, I uh, am Bill from the Spike Feeders. Uh, obviously, we have our main channel, which is more Magic the Gathering focused, which is just the Spike Feeders uh, on YouTube and Twitter. We also have uh, an offshoot channel uh, for Flesh and Blood, uh, the Spike Feeders Fab, uh, which again uh, can be found on YouTube, not on Twitter. We just have the main one for that. And then myself, uh, you can find me at Bill TSF, uh, and I tweet about uh, lots of stuff, uh, not necessarily even games, and sometimes not at all, but. Uh, yeah, uh, that's where you can find me. Yeah, excellent. And um, I'm Kel, also known as Red Zone Rogue. You can find me at Red Zone Rogue everywhere. YouTube, uh, Twitter. I usually mostly Twitter is my social media space, but I also have a Facebook at uh, Red Zone Rogue and Instagram at Red Zone Rogue that I occasionally, occasionally use. But if you want me to respond, uh, it's going to be either YouTube or uh, Twitter. Twitter is probably the best place, but... Um, mm. Yeah, I've been the host for today. Not, I will not always be the host. We might swap things up. So who knows if Bill or As is going to be the host of the next episode. And um, thank you all so much for watching. I think this was really fun. And uh, thank you guys for, for joining me for this. I'm really excited. I, I'm excited for the future yeah. of the Living Legends podcast. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we have we a ton of legends, potential. We? we are. Yes. <laughs> and we're all alive at the moment anyway. Yeah, uh, knock on wood, but yeah. Knock on wood. gets uh, oak and olded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know. Starlow's out yeah. of the mix. I guess, I guess, uh, I guess Oldham can always oak and old you. Yeah. I, I, I have heard have that if you... Again. I have heard that if you die to a guardian, uh, you die in real life, so... <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I might, I might yeah. have, guys, I might already be dead. Uh, oh, no. I need, oh, no. To I need to go check. <laughs> Are you okay? Uh, I don't know, guys. Uh, all right. <laughs> anyway, thank yeah. you. Thank you all so much for watching. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much, guys. Peace.